Tommy Sendrick talks about the one problem he had following up a hot lead on Paul LaRue. I got a lead for you. I was like, come on. He goes, no, no shit. They got a fucking call in years ago. You know, a guy did an internet um, uh, whistleblower thing. He said on LaRue. He gives his name, his phone number, all this shit. I was like, no shit. Did they call him? He goes, they never fucking followed up. I was like, you're shitting me. So we're sitting there in the office. I'll, I'm telling you, it, 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 this, is, this is why you just sit there and laugh. There's me, Eric Stout, a bunch of other people moving around, and our intel analyst, Carol Dillon, who one of the best intel analysts in the world, right? We're sitting there talking about all this shit. And she goes, well, what are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? And I said, eh, fuck it. I'm going to do what I would do in Baltimore. I'm going to call the fucking guy. Yeah. Now, now the funny thing is, is, you know, I got to be honest with you. I didn't know how to fucking dial internationally. Welcome to Game of Crimes. There's, there's one sitting right now in England, in London from a case that Eric Stouch and I did who's been sitting there since my retirement in 2018. 2018. <laughs> and, 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 and they won't let him out. But that's a whole other story we, we can talk about some other time. But that's a guy named Mohammed Asif Afiz. Um, and that has direct ties into Dawood Ibrahim and different things like that. So, um, but I, I personally think that there's a lot of people who don't want him back, but that's just my conspiratorial nature on things. So, Hey, so Morgan, I'll put this in a little perspective for you, our listeners as well. If I was a young agent, 959 and 960 would be the place to be because you're working some of the biggest unusual cases in the world. You're going to do some phenomenal travel. You're going to take some unbelievable risks. That's why it's a young man's game. <laughs> it was the, it would be the place to be. Yeah, the goal was to go after untouchables. That's what you were there for to find to find those untouchables. And I'll I'll never forget one of the things the Southern District of New York used to ask you is number one, what's the nexus to the United States? And if there was no nexus to the United States, the second question was, would the world be a better place um, without them in it? Meaning you that you arrested them. And that was the; those were the two criteria, um, and you know that that's kind of what we used, and and that was that was started with you know when Lou Milione and Boyd Johnson kind of pushed this whole endeavor, and um, when he was in charge of the narco terror, when Boyd was in charge of the narco terror unit up there in Southern District, and the the lineage continued down, you know, until it's even today. And just to, to explain that just a little bit more with the Southern District of New York, it's probably the most aggressive federal judicial district I've ever seen anywhere in the United States. They, uh, view, yeah, they view the world as their as yeah. their area. <laughs> well, you know, after after the first you know World Trade Center attacks in '93, you know, and stuff like that, that New York has always been the number one target for terrorism in the United States. Yeah. And not to take anything away from the Eastern District of New York, because they're pretty good, too. But, man, yeah. that Southern District, that's where you wanted to go. They, it's like they never say no. They really don't. And, and you know, at the time when I was there, that was when Preet Bahara was the U.S. attorney. And, and Preet was, you know, you know, unbelievably aggressive against the banks. Um, and you really do. I, I mean, the prosecutors are different. I mean, I hate to say that. I worked with a lot of really good prosecutors in a variety of different districts. But the one thing about there is you get these young, extremely bright lawyers who are 
going to burn the midnight oil um, to make the case happen because their next stop is baseball money at a major law firm in Midtown Manhattan. So the bigger name they make working at the U.S. Attorney's Office that's how they get more money. I mean, it's and, and we always laugh. We always say, oh, you guys going to get baseball money, right? Um, but but it's true. And, and they're not scared to try a case. In fact, they want to try cases, um, you know, which is sometimes what a lot of U.S. attorneys office don't want to do. Um, Southern District of New York, you know, they drop their balls out on the table and they're like, let's go to trial. Fuck you. Mm hmm. You know, plea, plea bargain. No, thanks. Yeah. They'll say no to a plea bargain. You'll come in and you'll say, I'll take 20 years. They're like, no. Yeah. We'll let you plead straight up. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You can take your chances. Well, the, the great thing, too, about the federal system compared to state and local, as you know, from working that, too, Tommy, was the power of a federal grand jury to get information, to do indictments. And just the simple fact that you have an indictment is a huge, powerful tool against um, you know, these organizations that you want to go after because, you know, at state local level, I mean, you're talking about having to work cases till you get probable cause and you have to submit an affidavit to the attorney, you know, who has to look at it and go to a judge and stuff. It, it, it's sometimes it's a tough process. I wish we could have had grant. Well, they could have called them technically back then, but to have a standing grand jury where you can go in front of and say, here's what we want to do. Not saying that it's easy. But it is an easier process to speed up the whole investigation when you've got a sitting grand jury that can give you paper. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and and, and that was the other thing. Um, you had that. And then, then the thing you did have, too, at SOD was Lou Millignon always talked about tempo, tempo, tempo. You had to have an operational, operational tempo. Operational tempo, op tempo. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. And if you weren't keeping it going, he'd be asking you what's going on. And, and if there, you ain't th moving forward, you're dying. I mean, that's the way I always used to hear it. Yeah. And look, there was he was the he was the GS and then took over as the ASAC for Jimmy Soilis. Um, and in in that that was uh, and then that was the short short channel to Derek Maltz. When Brown became the boss then, and it was, you know, I, I, I hate saying this term, but it, it's. It's very, it's like nepotism, right? They keep everything close and they only put guys they trust mm -hmm. and who are capable in these positions. Um, and, and I think that's why it was successful. Derek, Derek and Lou were very controlling in that way. And it, it made a difference in the success we had. Um, and, you know, at the time when Derek was the um, uh, sack of SOD, you know, that's when you had Michelle, Linhart as the administrator. You had Tommy Harrigan as the deputy administrator. You had Jimmy Capra as the chief of operations. Okay. They all knew each other. They just picked up the phone and talked. It was a short line to make shit happen. Um, you know, things changed. I won't mention names of people who came in afterwards that were dickheads and tried to destroy SOD and try to destroy, destroy BIU like Tony Williams. Um, I won't mention names <laughs> like that. I thought you that. said you weren't going to mention names. Oh, Freudian slip. Yeah, or, 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 or Jack Riley, who thinks Chapo Guzman actually knows his fucking name. Um, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a dick now, but you know what I mean. I mean, it, you know, um, you know, you know, we had a we had a good run because of the situation that occurred for a very long period of time, and and that that's what led to that success. I mean, even when you know, you can go back to Brian Dodd being there, Murph. You can go back to you know all those times. Um, so so I think that that that's what made the difference was this close cohesive relationships. 
and and knowing who to trust. And I think that's really important as you do these kind of cases is the relationships. Well, one name El Chapo knew was Drew Hogan, according to Drew Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> Inside I'll, joke. I'll, I'll, tell, oh. I'll tell you who I'll tell you who Chapo knows. Sean Penn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll tell you who else he knows. He knows Abe Perez and Paul Crane because oh yeah, they they they're the ones who really got him. You yeah. Know, the second yeah. Anyway, so, we digress. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So so um you know I I put my papers in and apply for the job. Um you know I I get the job and uh, over at SOD and I report to SOD and you know my first day there was really interesting because I get in and you know you come in and you're in the suit and you're looking all nice because you're supposed to be like that. And you get brought up to Derek Maltz's office. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people who are listening may know Derek, but Derek is a character. He's all over Fox News, Twitter. We have used Derek's name. Steve and I went out uh, to have lunch with Derek one time up here, and I was in the line of fire. I learned never sit across from Derek when you're eating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he looks at me. He goes, so who the fuck are your guys? How did you end up here? And I'm like, I'm like, what? And he goes, who vouched for you? I said, Brizzleri and McCabe. He goes, oh, okay, good fucking guys, good fucking guys. Okay, this is what I expect. And he goes, see all these pictures? And he's got all the pictures of all the BIU guys who that have been locked up. He goes, you're going to fucking get some of these guys. You're going to go after them, and you're going to put pictures up on my fucking wall. Okay? You understand that, right? And that... <laughs> that's that's the best impression I've heard of Derek in a long time. I don't know. Derek, Derek, Derek if he wasn't a DA agent, he would have been an actor on The Sopranos. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and I, I walk out and I go, okay. And I'll never forget, Stouch was a trial in New York. And I go, yeah, just talk to fucking Derek. He goes, oh, how'd that go? And I start telling him, he goes, yeah, sounds like fucking Derek, you know, and we all laugh. And But Derek's the best, you know. I mean, he, he just puts his cards on the table and, and he tells you. Your job is to get guys. Go fucking get them. And you know what? Uh, man, when I first got to SOD, I'm a staff coordinator. I'm a GS-14 coming in to do my headquarters time, and I get assigned to Derek's group. Oh, and that's when SOD used to be back out in Lorton. And this is three weeks before 9-11. So, you know, it's getting ready to hit the fan there. And so he calls you in his office, and, and you know, he's, he's being real nice. He introduced me to the whole group and everything. And finally he's like, Murph, get in my fucking office. So you go up there, and it's like, what's up, Boston? He said, just tell me this. Who the hell do you know? I said, what do you mean? Who do I know? I know a lot of people. What are you talking about? He said, yeah, well, nobody here knows who Steve Murphy is. You ever work a wire case? And I said, I only worked one in my whole career. Then who do you know? How'd you get to SOD? You know, it was the same. Who's your rabbi? Yep. How did you get here? Yep. And it you know, just happened to be Joe Keefe, who was chief of ops at the time, was, used to be my ASAC. Oh, Joe. Now, that's one of the all-time greats, right? Oh. Joe Keefe. And I earned his respect, and that's how I got to SOD. And once I said that, it was all good. Yep. Tommy, I'm going to disappoint you because Murph actually, him and uh, Paul Crane were involved in an incident to where Paul Crane bribed. I'm talking <laughs> about bribed Steve Murphy <laughs> to let him know when Derek was watching people come in or out of SOD oh, yeah. headquarters. Well, that was that was a that was a conspiracy between him and Jamie Hunt when we were all ASACs at oh, SOD. Oh dear God, Jamie Hunt too, right? Yeah, yeah. I was I was Derek's executive assistant, the horse holder at the uh, time. Oh yeah, Derek's fucking Derek. Derek's such yeah. a, he's so, he's he's such a character on some of this stuff, but he's so passionate about he everything. Is. He is. And, and the bad thing about those guys, boost. the bribe was three bucks. 
I mean, that's, what kind of, not, that's not a bribe. No. Well, what does that say about you for taking a $3 bribe? <laughs> well, that's the best deal I could get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, but getting back to this, so you, so you put in your papers, you do the Derek Maltz you know, interview, who the hell do you know, and now you're on board. So um, we what we want to do is start – now let's start laying some context too because eventually LaRue is going to come onto your radar and you're going to start working that case. But what goes on to lead up to that? So so here's what happens. I get there. Eric Stouch is in trial at the time up in New York on um, uh, AQIM, which is Al-Qaeda of the Maghreb. And he he had brought some uh, couple, some defendants back, and he was in trial in New York on that case. And that was a BIU case. And that was a big case because it dealt with West Africa and connections to Liberia. And it, it really, really big, big, important case in the history of BIU and, and, and the um, narco-terrorism unit at the Southern District of New York. So he's in and out. So one day when he's back, uh, we're talking and he said, I was like, well, who are we going to go after? I mean, how do we do this? How do we figure out? Do we have sources? He goes, well, we can talk to the sources. And I said, well, what about the Syntoc upstairs? Because I had no shit about any of this, right? You got to remember, I'm coming from Baltimore at this point. Okay. The one thing I quickly realized is I don't even speak the fucking same language as these people from SOD. Okay. I've been in the ghetto my entire fucking life. So I get to SOD and all these people. People are talking very proper and nice. They're not really cussing. You know, I'm like, I'm like a fish. Boy, you are like a fish out of water. There, I'm like, where the fuck did I land? Right. Like, this is like fucking Mars. Right. So, but, but, you know, so I'm talking to Stouch and he goes, look, nobody up there is going to fucking ever help you. He goes, it's all bullshit. Nobody ever gives you any leads, you know? And I'm like, okay. He goes, I'm like, whatever, we'll figure it out. So I'm talking to Wim and he goes, ah, let's go have lunch. Let's go have coffee with my buddy, Rudy. And I was like, okay. And it turns out to be this guy, Rudy Atala. So who goes to launchers? Me, Stouch, um, Wim Brown, and we meet Rudy Atala at this coffee shop in Reston, Virginia. Now, Rudy is a former military attache. I think he was in the Air Force, if I remember correctly. And um, he, you know, has his own company, one of the consulting companies in D.C. And we sit down and we're talking about you know, different things. And he's talking about targets and, you know, initially it's the big love fest between him and Wim because, you know, they're talking about boot and they're talking about all these different people who they all know. I don't have a fucking clue. If your name is not a member of the black gorilla family, I have no fucking clue who you are. Okay. I I, I just don't. Right. So I'm listening. I'm trying to get schooled up again. And, um, uh, I, Eric goes, look, he goes, if you can't provide us like a bio on people, he goes, you know, I don't understand why we even do some of this. Like we get none of this. And Rudy's like, well, I can. Eric goes, well, let's see what you can do. You know, get this conversation going. And Rudy goes, look, I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to look up some stuff and I'm going to send you guys a good target with some good information on him. Eric, and how so- long had you been on SOD at this point? Fucking not even a week. <laughs> No, I, should, I, should, I shouldn't say that. I, I guess a couple months, but here's the thing. I was doing the Afghan protection detail. Jeff Higgins had this big case going on these Afghan, Haji Bachko or, or, or Haji, yeah, Haji Bachko, who he brought back from Afghanistan. So it was one of the big um, traffickers of heroin. And we had to sit with all these Afghan witnesses in these secure locations and get them to and from um, 
a court um, while while the trial was ongoing. So when that was finished, so so you're talking a couple months. I think I did six weeks on that detail. Right, but but in terms of you actually being operational inside SOD and starting to work stuff, you're only there for about you only have a week now. In- oh yeah, 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 yeah. So so we're sitting there, and um, I get back and I talk to Wim Brown and I said, hey, you don't mind if I reach out to Rudy directly, do you? And he goes, no, absolutely not. He goes, you're working it. He goes, you're going to work the cases, not me. He goes, you're you're the guys. I said, okay. So he gives me his information. So I reach out to Rudy and Rudy goes, okay. And he sends me this fucking thing on a guy named Paul LaRue, sends me this UN report. And it talks about this guy who's got a 220-person militia in Somalia. He's cultivating heroin and and coca, um, using greenhouses in Somalia. Um, He's in the weapons trade in Somalia. I'm sitting there reading this, and I'm like, holy fuck. And, And what rings in my head is something Eric Stouts told me. He goes, just remember, everything you read is going to be interesting here. Every fucking thing you read, he goes, we got to make sure we can make the case. He goes, because everything's fucking interesting when people give it to you here. And and, and he's kind of right. Like, as you go on in your career at SOD, like people send you a target and you're like, man, I like this fucking target, but I can't do shit with that. Right. Like it's all, you know, it's like sitting in a high end briefing half the time. Right. Well, it's like sitting there and, you know, you've got a hundred people to pick from and everybody is, is FBI top 10, the world's most wanted. It's like, OK, every case is interesting. But yeah. how do you how do you pick? So so I I start when I got this I started and and Stouts is going back to New York to do um research or do the trial on AQIM. So I'm working the research angle of this. I'm doing all you know Google searches and this is like you know we're getting toward Thanksgiving Christmas time right too. So Murph you know I mean you know. Shit slows down a lot at DEA come around them those last uh, use or lose days, right? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. So I, even on my home time, I'm sitting there and I'm typing and I'm typing and I'm looking up and I'm finding all this shit about this guy fucking LaRue. And I'm like, dude, I like this guy, right? Like as a bad guy, I like him. I was like, and I'm calling Stouch as I'm researching shit. And I'm going, look, dude, if half this fucking shit is true, he's the fucking real deal. Half the shit, because we're reading about murders committed in the Philippines, shipments of fu- shipments of uh, guns coming out of. Uh, I mean, he's got mercenary. He's got former special forces type people that are on his hit squads, right? Yes, yeah. And so we're. I'm like, I'm all excited because I'm like, man, this, you know, this is a good, good fucking case. So we get through the holidays and we get kind of, you know, and I, and I got Stouch interested and we're talking and we get through the holidays. And in January, I said, and I'm talking to Rudy at the same time, cultivating this relationship with Rudy. And Rudy says, look, I got a potential source we can meet down in South Africa who can probably lay a lot of this out. So I'll talk to Wim, talk to Eric. We start setting up travel to uh, South Africa. Okay. Um, you know, I laugh, but it was my it was it was only my second trip. My first trip was to Cutter with Eric in between the me getting there and stuff like that. And that was a long flight, but you had to lay over in London. Um, the trip to South Africa was a fucking long flight, guys. And I sat in the back of the plane, you know, on cheap South African air fucking seats. I probably had, I think I had hemorrhoids when we were done. Like, it, it's not like it was some fucking glamorous trip, okay? Like, you know, I'm not sitting there in business class like the FBI or the CIA would fucking fly. I'm flying or the back the, of the... 
State Department, I remember taking a few trips to Pakistan to Turkey, and anytime it's over 14 hours, you know, total trip, you got upgraded to business class. Yeah, not not nah, with nah, fucking nah. DEA. Not no. in fucking DEA. Trust me, those cheap right. fucks. Uh, right. They don't give a fuck how you feel when you get off that fucking plane. So um, Could you feel your legs? Were they oh, still there? Oh, dude. You know, I, I just didn't know any better, though, to be honest with you. I was so fucking excited just to do the job, right? And And... So we take this flight to South Africa and we end up meeting these guys and we, we get to South Africa, but we can't, the guys are, the South African guys are very worried about the meeting taking place in South Africa because LaRue was so well known. So we ended Which part of South Africa were you in? Jayburg, Cape Town? We flew into Jayburg and, and so then we, we actually um, went to Botswana, uh, Botswana and um, I'm trying to remember, Gaborone. We drove to Gaborone and um, met with these guys because, like I said, they were concerned because LaRue was known to have a long reach. He, had, he was strong in South Africa. Um, there was there, – he had put a um, contract out on a couple um, journalists down there. There were a lot of people who were very, very shook. And was LaRue – were his original ties back to South Africa? His actual ties were Rhodesia, which is Zimbabwe prior to the Mugabe takeover and the communist takeover. And then his family fled to South Africa after uh, Rhodesia became um, uh, after Mugabe. So, um, yeah, so he, he was originally African. So he's truly, believe it or not, a white African-American. Um, and did, did, did he speak now? The uh, he spoke Afrikaners, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, um, so they were very nervous. So we had this meeting in, in Gaborone and it was a good meeting and these guys were good, but you know, who are these, you say these guys, who are you meeting with? We were meeting with some, uh, some, a former South African Intel guy, um, a forder, former MI6 guy who now lived in South Africa, who ran their own, um, security company. And we were meeting with a journalist who was out of, uh, Namibia. And they all kind of knew him, but like we get done that meeting and we're like, man, this is going to be a long haul because they really didn't have like the source in. Um, we came back from Gaborone. Um, we meet with a bunch of other potential sources, but nobody really has that in. Like Eric and I are looking at each other and we're like, man, this is just going to be a long haul. We're just going to have to keep making trips over here and figure out and find somebody who will talk about him and, and start putting us in the game. So to get, but to get to this point, who had to approve uh, this part of the, I mean, cause at some point he becomes a target now, right? Is he an official target or is this more just like exploration to determine if he should become a target for 960? No, I opened a case on him. I mean, I talked to Lou and, and or I talked to Wim and Wim said, yeah, let's go after him. And, and what we didn't know, what Eric and I didn't know when we opened up the case on him is um, there was a group out of Minnesota, a really talented diversion investigator named Kim Brill, who was doing an investigation in to him related to, and Eric and I didn't even know this aspect of him at the time, but at the same time, this is going on. He was one of the largest uh, distributors of illegal, illegal pharmaceuticals in the world. Um, he ran a company called RX Limited. And um, so we didn't know, but she was focused on that. And she was doing that. And he was already a seapot. Eric and I had, you know, this just goes Say, to, what is that? A consolidated priority target, which means he's one of the top targets. He's made a top target by DEA. Um, 
How come that name did not come up then when you were searching, you know, because you had to search DEA, right, when you were opening up the case? Is he not in Natus? Is he not in any of your databases? He was. We just kind of fucking ran him, and it didn't say CPOT, or we didn't pay attention. I didn't give a fuck, to be honest with you. You know, my thing was is let's just go rock and roll and do the case. Um, you know, we're, we're BIU. We're fucking 960. You know, let's just go do this case as, we're, as I'm running this. Um, and then when we find out that um, some staff coordinators from upstairs at, at SOD had re were reaching out to as we're we're getting back from the South Africa trip, they're reaching out to Lou Million and Wim Brown about assistance on LaRue. So it was like a, a, a merging of a bunch of different things um, that brought this on and. But prior to but let me take a step back. But before I, we get back was we're getting on the plane. I talked to a guy, um, Warren Franklin, who was who was the agent down in South Africa. And I said, hey, do me a favor. Um, when we leave, can you check with the sisters, which is the, we that was our kind of short term for the CIA. And um, we say, check with the sisters and see if they have anything on LaRue. Right. Because we had read the U.N. report and things like that. And it was pretty it was pretty egregious. Like they should know something about this. We thought, you know, little did we know there's not a whole lot behind the curtain in these fucking intel agencies. It's a lot of, a lot of fucking bullshit for the most part. Right. You know, they claim to know a lot more than they fucking do. So um, and some of them know, but it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know, there, it's, we, we always like Eric and I, we use the analogy of the Wizard of Oz. There's nothing fucking behind the curtain. Pay bro. no attention to the man behind the curtain yeah yeah. It, yeah it's fucking nothing there so um you know, you're real quick you know what's interesting is not only was larue in a un report so was victor boot yeah talking about arms dealing you know low level intensity you know low intensity conflict in uh, sub-saharan africa and play i mean this dude was responsible for six million deaths yeah, these are world players. These are, yeah. these aren't small time criminals. These are world players. Yeah, and and you know, I guess we didn't. I'll be honest with you. We never looked at it like that. We looked at him no different than we would have looked at who at Rayful Edmonds, at you know um, Jeff Fort in Chicago, or one or, you know whatever drug dealer in the United States. We looked at him like that. That's how we. We viewed it and, you know, that's and I think that's why we were successful in this. Right. Because you can get caught up in all this fucking shit that's going on out here. And I always I always used to determine if you ever have Jimmy Capper on, he used to say this to me. It doesn't have to be an intergalactic fucking conspiracy. OK. <laughs> right? yep, Everybody yep. wants these intergalactic conspiracies. But that's not what makes a fucking case, okay? You, you got to be strategic and take the fucker out. And it doesn't have – you don't have to get him for every single fucking crime he's done in his entire career to make your case. You got to get him for something and get him off the fucking uh, – get him off the field, okay? And so when I asked Warren Franklin that, I was hoping we would get all this intel. Right. We get back to SOD. There's all this stuff going on with um, uh, the diversion groups upstairs, the ASAC and staff coordinator talking to Lou and Wim. Um, we're we're moving forward on this case. Um, we get a call from Warren Franklin. And this is this is the funniest fucking thing. Warren goes, hey, Tommy, he goes, I checked with the people. He goes, he goes, 
I got a lead for you. I was like, come on. He goes, no, no shit. They got a fucking call in years ago. You know, a guy did an internet um, uh, whistleblower thing. He said on LaRue. He gives his name, his phone number, all this shit. I was like, no shit. Did they call him? He goes, they never fucking followed up. I was like, you're shitting me. So we're sitting there in the office. I'm telling you, it, 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 this, is, this is why you just sit there and laugh. There's me, Eric Stout, a bunch of other people moving around, and our intel analyst, Carol Dillon, who one of the best intel analysts in the world, right? We're sitting there talking about all this shit. And she goes, well, what are you guys going to do? What are you going to do? And I said, eh, fuck it. I'm going to do what I would do in Baltimore. I'm going to call the call fucking him. guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, the funny thing is, is, you know, I got to be honest with you. I didn't know how to fucking dial internationally, right? Like on the DEF, <laughs> like, like hitting eight, then zero, nine, then zero, all yeah. this shit, right? Like I didn't know, right? So yeah. I get on there yeah. and finally figure it out. I, and I'm talking to Erica. I said, ah, let's see if the fucker is. Hey, hello? Where was, was he located at? Well, uh, so he was located at that time. He was in the Emirates. Okay. okay. UAE. So, yeah. So I call, I, he, this guy answers the phone. And I go, I was like shocked. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. He fucking, I stopped my conversation with Eric. I'm like, yo. I, I was like, hey. I said, how you doing? He goes, good. Wait a minute. You went yo? Yeah, I, said, I was like, I don't know if I did yo. But I was like, hey. And he goes, he goes, yes. And he's very, very rigid, right? You can tell. He's very formal. And I said, uh, this is Tommy Sindrick, and I'm with the U.S. government. And um you sent a, a request in a few years back on a guy named Paul LaRue. He goes, yes. I said, um, we'd like to talk to you about that. Are you interested in talking? Yes. Um, are you interested in potentially working for the U.S. government? Yes. And I said, okay, we'll be back in touch. Is your email still good that we have on, on the original um, report that you made with, with uh, the U.S. government. He goes, yes. I mean, that's all he's fucking saying, right? Because I'm sure he's shitting a brick too. I mean, he put that in two years prior, right? So we're like, I'm like, oh, fuck, right? Like we hang up. And so now we're off to the races. And he turned out to be the difference maker, okay? He had worked for him in Somalia, was uh, he in Dubai or Abu Dhabi? He was in Dubai. So what happened was, as Eric and I had another trip, we were helping another agent out with the case he was doing in Ghana. Um, we fly to Ghana. We're waiting for confirmation from the guy, the the source, the, the confidential source that he would meet us, and where he would meet us, because he didn't want to meet in the Emirates either, because everything is tapped, and they're very, you know, he was very nervous. There's, you know, it's a controlled environment there. So we're trying to figure out where we can meet and we decide to meet in Cyprus because, you know, Cyprus is a friendly place for the United States and, and, and you can kind of move around there uh, anonymous, anonymously, especially as a bunch of white guys, you know, without drawing too much attention to yourself. Um, so we're in Ghana and we get the confirmation on that. So we have to, we get, we call Lou and Wim, we call Wim and Wim's like, yep, go. Go do your thing. Make it happen. You know, and that, that's the beautiful. See, that's the other thing. You know, and, and, and Murph, will, Murph will tell you, if you were in a fucking division group, you would have to be down to the fucking penny about how much money you were spending for that travel. We were already in Ghana, okay, which was a significant costing trip. We were now going to fly across the continent of Africa into Addis Ababa and Ethiopia. We were going to fly from Addis Ababa to the United oh, there's, Arab. There's a fun place to be. 
We're going to fly from Addis Ababa into the United Arab Emirates. We're going to get meet meet the source in the United Arab Emirates in the in the um, airport, and then we are going to fly to Cyprus and have our meeting. That's what the fuck we're doing. Okay, that's a pretty significantly costing trip, right? Call Wim, say, hey, look, this is what we got to do. Wim's like, okay, go for it, guys. Um, yeah, let me just make sure Lou's good with it. And he, you know, he's on the phone and he clicks over and Lou's walking in the office. Yeah, 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 go, go, go. Make shit happen. Make shit fucking happen. Right? And you're like, okay. You know, and I, yeah, and I'm fucking like shocked because I'm still fresh out of the institutions of the division groups, right? Where you can't do dick with money. And, um, you know, we, f we fly across and we meet the source and the source brings all this evidence. I mean, he brought a computer that was his from when he was in Somalia that showed the militia they had started fighting with Al-Shabaab. Um, it shows... Um, the plans for a forward operating base they were going to build so LaRue could create all this 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 militia and keep he wanted to take over the weapons bazaar from uh, Al Shabaab. He was gonna grow opium and coca on the um on the uh on the forward operating base. But one of the funny things is what he he told one of the things he told me years later was uh, or a couple years later was it's not that I couldn't grow it. I could grow it. It just wasn't fucking cost effective. Okay. He had figured out how to do it. LaRue is one of the most brilliant guys in the fucking world when it comes to that. But needless to say, this source led us into that and opened up Pandora's box. Then it was after we met him and we had all that information, it was coming back to SOD. Um, our intel analyst, Karen, Carol Dillon, starting to work on all the intelligence that we had and had been provided to us by the source from an intel intelligence perspective and start laying things out. And then it was Eric and I starting to work on the scenarios to make things happen. Um, prior to leaving for Cyprus, we had the source make contact with LaRue, though. And we said, are you still on good terms with him? He goes, yeah, 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 I'm on good terms with him. He goes, I said, what was the source doing for LaRue? Um, he was kind of managing um, this project in Somalia, okay? And, and here's another thing. Depending on how you view weapons and things like that, in Africa, some of these things are not viewed the way we view them in the United States as some nefarious thing. And it's, very, and it's all it's illegal. It's a fact of life in many of those places. It's just the way it's done. And it's legal. And it's fucking legal. I mean, there's there's you know there's plenty of people who are doing government to government business where they're selling weapons, and you know there's plenty of black business going on. But but and, but the U.S. doesn't have a lot of jurisdiction in that. So whether whether our, our our nice U.S. citizens like it or fucking don't like it, it's a fact of life, and you gotta deal with the you gotta deal with the things as they come. So. Um, this source um, contacted LaRue, and LaRue was asking him to go to work um, trying to get EUCs, which are end-user certificates, for medicine, okay? Now, you have to understand that an end-user certificate is normally used for government-to-government -government business. So uh, if, if a supplier is going to supply um, some sort of medicine, let's just say Advil or ibuprofen to a, an African country. 
then you have to have the government sign off and the business needs the government okay to ship it to that African country. So you can't do business. LaRue could not ship ibuprofen to an African country if he didn't have an end user certificate from that African country authorizing the shipment. Okay. And that was just that was to establish provenance so that you knew where it originated from, who owned it. It's kind of like a chain of custody in cops, right? You want to know who's touching it. Can you prove that it's really coming from this source going to here? Correct. And so LaRue, you got to remember, he's in the pharmaceutical world and you're thinking RX limited and all this kind of stuff. But what's medicine? Right. And this is what I knew from my, you know, this is where going to clan lab school and all that shit started to pay a little dividends for me. Like you talk, like uh, Morgan, you talked about how did you get to certain points? Well, if you look back, the road was predestined for me to, me and Stouch to work on the road. Right. I had gone to clan lab school. I knew about pseudoephedrine. You know, how does that fucking happen? I, I, you know, I look back and I go, that, that, that's because it's meant to happen, right? Like, how the fuck did I end up in Klan Lab School with Jimmy Capper going, hey, go, go see your family for two weeks, going back and forth and go to Klan Lab School? But medicine means pseudoephedrine. Pseudoephedrine's a precursor chemical for meth, okay? You're going to start seeing LaRue's mind is to move drugs into these and methamphetamines into these African countries or start selling precursor chemicals to start making meth in African countries. That's the that's the machination that's going on in the brain that is LaRue. Um, so if he has these end user certificates, it opens up a host of other issues. The other thing is, is if you're shipping medicine, let's say you're shipping pills of, uh, of um, pseudoephedrine or tramadol because tramadol wasn't illegal then. Right. How many guns, how many guns can you ship in a fucking 4 million pills? You can stick all sorts of guns in 4 million pills that nobody can see. So he can use the end user certificate as a cover for a variety of other things. So the end user certificate has a tremendous amount of value. So what was LaRue's end game with these end user certificates? I mean, it's either you forge it, you buy them, you steal them, or you, you have an inside source. What was his game with these EUCs and how was he going to make it work for him over there? So what he wanted to do is he wanted to get um, he wanted to get legitimate ones because once you had one legitimate one you could forge a variety of them. The other thing is is he wanted them gotten from mid level personnel because mid level personnel were cheaper to bribe than um, the higher ups or the people who ran the divisions. So what the source's job was going to be was to find a. West African country, as directed by LaRue, he wanted him to go to a West African country and um, start trying to develop these EUCs. So the source comes to us and he says, well, which which country should I pick? And we said, nah, let's make him pick. Okay, because part of this is you got to remember, we don't want to be dictating the game to LaRue. Everything we do is kind of based on sting operations, right? So you can't be dictating what the bad guy does. The bad guy has to dictate to you, and you have to fit that into the constraints of the law, the rules that you have to abide by from your agency. So it becomes a real balancing act on some of this stuff. So kind of like an illusion of control. You're giving him the illusion of control. Yes, 
And, and, and Eric and I always laughed. Our favorite movie when we would sit there doing this stuff was Argo, right? And, and our joke was, Argo, fuck yourself, like, on, that, on the show. Because what you're doing is you're creating a Hollywood theme, and you're trying to make it as real as possible, but you know it's all fucking illusion and lies, okay? But you have to give enough truth to it to make it work. Um, and that's what we would do. And that's what we would do. And that's what we were doing with LaRue. So when he... When they when he said the West African country, um, instead of us picking, what we did is when the source sat down with us, we gave him we listed three countries. We sat down with him that we thought we could operate in. We had one throwaway that if he would have picked that country, we'd have been pretty fucked. But we didn't think he, based upon his what we knew about him. And our feelings about him, we didn't think he'd operate in that country anyway. So we put the countries in. Can you in, say what the throwaway country yeah, was? Yeah, yeah, we threw, we put them down the list. So country one, we put this Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast, okay? The second one was Ghana, okay? Because we, we, we had had a good relationship with Ghana. And we felt we, we could work in Ghana. Um, and although it's not as good as the third one we chose, which was Liberia. Liberia was a home for BIU. We had a great relationship based upon previous cases and extraditions with um, uh, uh, Fumba Sirleaf, who was the head of the National Security Agency. His mother, um, Ellen Sirleaf Johnson, was the president of the country. Um, Lou had an outstanding relationship with them. Uh, Fumba was West Point educated and a really, 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 really solid guy. And his close childhood friend was Sam Gay, who was a DEA, who at the time was a retired DEA agent. Okay. And Sam Gay, we all knew he had worked in Nigeria, worked all over Africa. And Sam is, Sam is a legend in and of himself in DEA for some of the undercover work he's done. Um, so we felt Liberia would be the best, but we didn't want to throw that out as first. We thought it would appeal to LaRue, okay, because LaRue liked war-torn countries. He liked messes because he knew he could exploit people in those places. Liberia, because of um, the war between uh, uh, Sierra Leone and Liberia, um, the, the genocide that occurred, um, in Sierra, you know, all through all these places like Sierra Leone with the RUF and Joseph Coney was over there. You had, it just kind of, we thought it might appeal to him, but, but we didn't want to throw it out as first because there, if he, if he had paid too much attention and looked at it closely, he would see that there had been extraditions done by DEA from there. Okay, well, but you also judicial had taken expulsions. A, yeah, you'd also taken a previous president out of there, Charles Taylor. Well, exactly, was, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But we thought that would part of part of Larue, Charles Taylor, and the the maniacal sense of Charles Taylor, we thought would would appeal to Larue. Um, so we put that down as third, hoping that he'd pick it, but not anticipating he would. We kind of anticipated Ghana. He picked Liberia. But but Ivory Coast was your throwaway, right? Yeah, yeah, we couldn't operate there. We could, but it'd be a pain in the ass. Um, and we didn't think he could really operate there because we had seen no connection between him and there. Um, Ghana, he had previously done some business in Ghana. 
So we thought he would choose Ghana, to be quite honest with you. And we're like, oh, we can make Ghana work. We have a good relationship with the people there. Um, we had um, uh, a good CA and a good um, agent there. Um, Joe Kellums was the agent. Hayward Lampley, if you remember Hayward. Um, yeah. What's a CA? Country attaché. Hayward Hayward was the CA there, and Hayward was great. He was such a he was such a character. But he he had a, he and Joe Kellums had a great relationship with everybody there, and were able to make things happen. So we felt we could work there. Um, we knew we could operate in Liberia, but like I said, we didn't think he'd choose Liberia, um, but he did, and thank God. Thank God, because it became, you know, Liberia is just makes life so much easier for the BIU units because of the tremendous relationship with uh, Fumba Sirleaf. Sam Gay was Liberian by birth, so he he was there. You just had this a, a really good, good working relationship and the ability to operate there. You had the perfect storm coming together. Yeah. Yeah, you really did. And and so. Uh, when he picked that, we're like, okay, now what next? So, so that's when we returned to SOD, and it's like, now Eric and I have to plan again. And, and, and this is the other thing. Like, Eric and I, so when you're back home and you're not traveling, it's not like you're home just hanging out with your wife and kids, right? I mean, like, we're on the phone hours a day with each other discussing this if we're not in the office, Okay. This is what you do. You plot, you plan, you plan contingencies. Well, what if? Well, what if this? Well, what if this? Who are we going to use? What sources are we going to use? So one of the things we thought would, what we would do is we'd go to Liberia and we'd use the source and start cultivating the relationship while in Liberia. Eric couldn't make the trip with me on this one. He was, he was still dealing with some stuff related to the AQIM case. So Wim Brown and I went. And the source was really good because how we controlled everything is when the source would get an incoming email from LaRue, he wouldn't respond. He would bring the he would bring it over, he would either send me the the um the email or he would um it like when we were in Liberia, he'd bring it over and we'd sit in the room and I'd craft my response, right? And then the source would put it into his language because the source was not American, okay? So all my terminologies and how I talked, he had to take and convert into how he talked. And then he would send it back to me and I'd look at it and I'd go, yay or nay. And when Eric finally got back, that was how we did it. Eric and I would review everything the source sent back and we go, okay, send it. Okay, add this or not add this. And and, and that's how we did it. So. As we did this first stage, I start saying he wants medicines, right? I, and, and so we start getting into this thing. And we tried initially using one of our sources, an Israeli source who was a, um, uh, a diamond guy. And we were going to try and uh, uh, get LaRue interested using diamonds, right? Blood diamonds that came out of Africa. It didn't go for it. We were kind of surprised, but... Um, you know, conflict diamonds are a big issue, and he, I guess he just, you know, for some reason that didn't pique his interest. Um, so what we did is we had him say, ah, I met some Colombian guys here, you know, and they're very interested in getting certain chemicals here. And so 
knowing the chemicals for for meth, right? We started throwing, oh, they want, I would throw out, oh, they want red phosphorus, oh, they want anhydrous ammonia, you know, all these different things that anybody would say, just say meth, right? But you don't want to say that you because you want him to ship the chemicals and you'll work into the meth because you don't want to upset him yet, right? You don't want to say, hey, I want meth because you don't want him to go, whoa, you're the police, you know, or make him nervous in any way. So, so we're going down this list and at one point in this, he goes, he responds to the source and he goes, oh, I know what the fuck they want. They want math. And I went, cha-ching. That's like the holy fucking grail because now we don't have to dance around the drug thing, right? Like you're like fucking home run. You know, he knows we're now talking drugs. So he goes, look, if they want, if they want to make their own, he goes, I have the, these buildings that I use, he called uh, cook buildings that were, could be moved around and used in a city and put somewhere and you could cook in them and they vented out. He says they could get that. He said, um, he said, or he goes, you know, I can also supply meth. I have access to meth made in North Korea. I have access to meth from China. And we're, so we Stop right there for a second. That's yeah. one thing when I read the book and I started doing research on this too. That is the one thing I got to tell you. That was a new thing for me to learn is how involved the North Koreans were in meth because Kim Jong-un and Kim Jong-il back in the day, they needed hard currency with all the sanctions mm -hmm. against North Korea. Yep. 100%. They, they have a whole – Well, if you've seen how much weight loss – if you've seen how much weight Kim Jong-un has lost lately, I think he's doing some of his own meth, man, because he's <laughs> dropped a couple hundred pounds. It could be. But, but, but the funny thing is, is so, so yeah, I, I, was, I, I knew they did it. But as you start to learn, they do it to a significant degree. And, and since I retired, I learned that not only do they do it to a significant degree, they do a lot of other things, cigarette smuggling, um, ivory smuggling. They're involved in every other illegal enterprise they can do in order to fucking earn currency to bust sanctions. So, yeah. So, so yeah. So we start going down this path um, and doing this and, you know, with the help of everybody over there and we're here and, and here's the thing. So to give things a realistic appearance. So when you're calling LaRue, right, we do the Liberia thing. We fly to Liberia. We do it from Liberia. Right. And Murph, you know, DEA doesn't just say, Oh, go to Liberia to do this. We're setting a stage, right? Then it's like, we come back, we're back for a week and then we fly to Panama. Because we're meeting the Colombians in Panama, or the source is meeting the Colombians in Panama. But you have to have him call him from Panama. Now, you could do the phone thing, but it doesn't work right. You, you got to be really good to do something like that. And let's be honest, DEA is not really good at all this technical shit to make it look like you're going from somewhere, right? I hate to say it, but, but and, and, you know, we're just not that fucking good at that stuff. So we fly to, we fly to fucking Panama, and we used... Um, a Colombian source who we had, who was, who, who's been, who was used by BIU a lot. Um, tremendous guy had ties into back in the, um, Cali cartel days. Uh, he was operating, um, uh, up in, you know, Detroit area when he first got arrested. Um, 
But he has this great appearance. He looks like a Colombian boss because our anticipation was at some point LaRue is going to have to meet with him. So we had to have a source who looked a specific way. He had to have the Pablo Escobar look, okay? This guy was kind of a big guy, right? He had salt and pepper hair, you know, unlike Pablo, he was very, he was kind of, this guy's kind of a good looking guy on top of it, right? Yeah, but, but he had a, he was a good looking guy. He was a big guy, he had a great appearance, had a great way he carried himself. He looked like a Colombian boss, okay? And that's half the battle is letting people see and making them believe that a guy is what they believe he already is, right? You know, you meet Tommy Cedric, you go, he's a fucking cop. Okay, you, you, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, um, I don't look like I'm not a cop. Um, so like with the source, that gave he, him a great deal of comfort with, with Eric Stouch and I because we looked like cops. He, he was a big TV junkie from the U.S. So he looked at us and he goes, ha, that's what a DEA agent should look like, right? Like in his mind. And not Miami Vice, not Don Johnson, flowing blonde hair, Hugo Boss suits, you know. Okay, like he laughed. He goes, you know, we would laugh, you know, here we are, you know, cargo pants or cargo shorts, T-shirts, crew cuts. We're either in the military, cops, or you're a fucking mercenary. It's it's yep. one of the three. Yep. So, so, yeah, so we started down this path and we started doing calls from Panama. Um, we end up getting, and, and at the same time, the the girl in Minnesota, the diversion investigator in Minnesota, Kimbrell, is doing a tremendous job. She had gotten um, Brazil to go up on a Title III because LaRue was traveling from Philippines to Brazil at the time. And the reason he chose places like the Philippines and Brazil like and Brazil um, were because of their extradition treaties. Like to get somebody out of the Philippines is fucking hard, right, If you, even for the U.S. Brazil, it's hard if you have a baby there. LaRue would go purchase a hooker, get her pregnant, have a baby there so that he could if if the U.S. came to get him while he was in Brazil, they weren't going to let him out because he was considered he had status. He was considered a quasi Brazilian citizen. Right. Holy cow. So he thought about things to that degree, to that degree. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it kind of had that evolution of if, so she's doing the Brazil stuff. And they go up on a phone related to him down there. there nobody's down there. There's a, there's an agent down there at the time, James Sparks, who's working with the um, Brazilians, who's doing a tremendous job collecting stuff. Stouch and I are still plugging away at our stuff, right? We're trying to get this. We're starting to try and get into the overt act stage, right? So we're, we're trying to get the – we send 25 – we buy uh, one of these um, cook rooms, these portable cook rooms that La, LaRue was selling for making meth for $25,000. And LaRue was like, why do the Colombians want you know, to, to um, make meth in Liberia? Like why aren't they just using the Mexicans? And he says uh, – and, and this was something we thought would intrigue LaRue. This was all in our planning. We were like, tell him that – the reason they want to do it is because they're tired of dealing with the fucking Mexicans. They're tired of being taxed. They're tired of the bullshit. They want to open in Africa, and they want to open their own thing in Africa without dealing with the fucking Mexicans. And LaRue, as soon as he said that, he goes, I like it. I like it. Like, you could just see it, it was something different. And then 
one of hey, the real other- quick on your on your Colombian source, was he representing anybody like FARC or any other group, or was he just a Colombian cartel Colombian sort cartel. of member? Colombian okay. cartel. I, I'll tell you how we get that aspect because that that's even more unique. What we did on trying to get the next stage of where they do the FARC or things like that, or get to terrorism aspects. So, as as we start to develop this, Larue's very interested in obtaining cocaine for a, the Asia market, right? So the Colombian, uh, the, our source is acting as the intermediary for the Colombian. He doesn't want to talk to the Colombian too much because he's still trying to protect himself, but he's very interested in cocaine. So one of the things that the Colombian um, talks about is how he's moving um, He's cultivating cocaine in Liberia too, and he goes, and and it was we talked with the Colombian informant about this, and he said, "There's a thing called, you know, Murph, you might know the exact name. It's it's prior to it becoming cocaine. It's like permiagente or something like that. It's like the stage. It's in a lab, but it's not quite. It's not an illegal substance yet." Okay. That's, uh, that's after it's gone through the pozo pit, but it hasn't gone into the hydrochloride stage. Correct. And and so he said what he would do, what he was doing is he was shipping tons of this stuff to Liberia, and he wanted to make it there to have a shorter trip to send co- uh, cocaine into Europe, right? And LaRue goes, oh, genius. You know, like, because it was so far out of the realm of, of what hey, he Tommy, what I'm getting a did. little concerned. You guys were one paycheck away from becoming international dope dealers yourself. Oh, you had man. this all figured out. Oh, we, we were, I mean, it was so much fun, right? Like, it was fun. Like, you could just make shit happen. That was the beautiful part. Look, it, 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 not to digress a second, but that was the beautiful part about Derek, Lou, Wim. They gave guys like us the ability to be creative. They didn't try and like go, ah, don't do that or don't do this. They just fucking opened up the fucking box and said, guys, make shit happen. Um, you know, and if you were guys who got that, you, you got to play. It was like, you being know, a, and it would be a blast. That's why I say if I was a young agent, that's where I'd want to be. Yeah. And, and so, so we start going down this path and we're, then LaRue says, look, I can send you samples of the meth. I can send you the North Korean meth and I can send you Chinese meth. He tells the source. So we're like, like Chinese meth would have fentanyl laced in it is my concern or covid or covid well at that time at that at that time it didn't you know you're talking 2012 right so so we start doing this and we say okay send it so he has his guy send it okay and we have it sent to liberia and we have it sent to sam fucking we have sam gay open up a fucking mailboxes etc place in fucking liberia and we have it sent directly to the fucking mailboxes, you know, a, a DHL facility or whatever the fuck it is in Liberia. And Sam Gay, we have Sam Gay. We're like, Sam, we're on our way over. He goes, OK, I'll pick it up and keep it in my fucking apartment. Ooh. <laughs> so OK, we, so we get it. And he holds it there in the box, doesn't open it. We get there. Eric and I cut it open. We find it. We package it, seal it, fucking bring it back to the United States. The interesting thing really is about that, though, is the meth that came from North Korea, the the unique thing was, is that meth, when it went to the special testing lab, was 99.6% pure. 
Wow. And, and the one the and that's it, Breaking Bad pure baby. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This ship was badass, and it had a unique organic compound. Is what they said. Okay. Now. We we all know this from being cops, from the signature of analysis that you can do on things, whether it be meth, heroin, however, or, or where or how you make your coke. So what as things progressed, and this didn't happen right away, we got in touch with our Seoul country office, right, Seoul, Korea. And the, the, the Korean police had significant seizures of what they believe was North Korean meth. And so we teamed up the labs, and what we were able to show is that unique organic compound was common between what South Korea thought they were was North Korean meth and what we thought was North Korean meth. So there's no doubt wow. that it was North Korean meth. Wow. Um, yeah. And but then so then the he sends us the Chinese meth. Chinese meth ain't bad either. It's like ninety eight point six percent. It's triad meth, right? Like it, it's not shit, right? So the Colombian guy calls me because, yeah, I don't want that fucking Chinese shit. I want the North Korean stuff. We're like, he's like, and Paul's talking to the other, to the bad guy. He's like, I didn't think it was that, was going to be that bad. What the fuck? You know, like, but, <laughs> you know, sources sometimes run off, run off sideways, but it was kind of funny. But yeah. Um, so, so we end up getting mad. Hey, real, real quick at this point though, Tommy, what, um, because you got to get to a point to where I, where there's a nexus for the United States. Have you achieved that yet to where you're at, or do you still have to do some work? Because no, we, we had little... got, yeah, we had gotten that. We had gotten that okay. because we said we were going to move the, some of the meth into the United States. Not all the meth was going to go into Europe. Some of it was going to okay. go into the United States. We had yeah, gotten that. Because that's one of the things you got to you got to be able to establish. You know, a nexus to the United States. He's going to do something there, right? Yes, yes. And we had gotten that through through these meth conversations and then part of the meth part of the meth that we were going to get from North Korea was going to go into the United States. So we were very comfortable with that. But but here's what we still didn't have. And this is what's interesting. We still didn't have a conspiracy. Okay? Paul And why and, is that because it's just your source and uh him you don't have a you don't have two people who are criminal actors involved in a conspiracy. No, we don't know what Paul is saying to the guy. We know the stuff's getting shipped, but we don't know anything about the other guy. And we don't have evidence, even though somebody, a third party shipped it to us. We know nothing about that. It's, it's just not there. You, you could make it up, but it, it's just not quite there. What happens at the same time is these intercepts in Brazil lead to a conversation about meth that Paul that Paul's talking about the meth he is supplying us. So Diversion's running their case and has these phone lines up, okay? Eric and I are running our case independently from them, okay? We're doing our case from the outside in, which is what we do, okay? As they're listening, as James Sparks and the Brazilians are listening to these phone calls, they talk about the meth they're going to supply us. Paul talks about that with a third party who's identified. Okay? 
Now, bingo, you've got your conspiracy. Got our conspiracy. So Eric, the funny story is Eric and I are in France when we get notification of this, right? We're in Paris. We're staying at this great fucking Marriott known as the Trocadero. I said, well, my friend, I said, let's go get ourselves a fucking nice uh, crepe up there by the Eiffel Tower because we're right near the Eiffel Tower. So I sat there and ate a fucking crepe with peanut butter and banana and celebrated the fact that Eric and I were able to fucking because we knew we had our indictment. We were done. But yeah, so we knew we had it. We called the U.S. attorney when we were sitting up there in Paris. U.S. attorney's like, you guys got it. I'll see you, I'll see you when you get back. We went up, um, and the U.S. attorney goes, yep, you guys got it. He goes, we'll go to grand jury. When do you want to go to grand jury? We're like, as soon as possible. Because Lou Millione's theory was, get paper, you own the case, right? And... But but what we didn't take into consideration in some of this, like 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 apparently the Minnesota people, they've been doing the, their case for a long time, several years, right? And they weren't they weren't pulling they weren't pulling the evidence they needed, and it, and it wasn't because of lack of effort. They were, and this is where I go back to: they had an intergalactic conspiracy. Right. They're trying to pull fucking all this information from the stars and make it into a fucking indictment. Whereas Eric and I went, we're going to fucking get LaRue for fucking meth. That's what we're going to do. And we streamlined it to not take in all these existential factors. And so, you know, the normal DEA bullshit of fighting back and forth about when you're going to do the indictment. Oh, we'll give you two more weeks, let you get your shit up to get up to speed. It never happens. We get our indictment in July of 2012, end of July 2012, I believe it was. So from the date we really started the case until we got the indictment, it was June, July, or end of June, beginning of July. So it was six months. Wow. Six, and that was simply because of one source. Wow. That had been ignored for two years that you guys found and went and talked with him. That's which it. Which came from the CIA, which makes it even more unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. That source is a great guy. I talk to him to this day. I, I, I mean, I consider him a friend at this point. He, he, cause Has he, he ever been identified in court documents or testified? Mm -mm. Okay. He's not identified in the book? Uh, not by his, he's uh, not his true name. Yeah. Just an alias. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but in the book too, the other thing too is put this in perspective too, because in the book, um, Hunting LaRue by Elaine Shannon, it starts off really with you and Stouch making these arrests. You're doing a global takedown, five different countries, right? But you've got your indictment. So how do you go from this indictment and you've got him for meth to now you've got all of these other players? So, so this is where fucking... LaRue, like we always go fucking LaRue, right? That's our, that's our quote. Fucking LaRue. It's, we'll it's never like be, Argo. Yeah. We'll never be done with this fucking guy. Right. And, 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 and I gotta be honest with you. There's a lot of guys in, and I don't know, Murph, you may have had, you may not have had this experience. I kind of like Paul. Okay. He's a, he, he, he did a lot of bad things. I'm not saying he didn't do a lot of bad things. Okay. But there's a certain appreciation for him being as good of a bad guy as he was. I heard Michael Phelps say one time that I have more in, com more in common with my competition than I do with most people. Yeah. 
Well, and it's the it's the criminal genius of this guy. Yeah, I, I, like his his work ethic was no different than mine and Eric's. We worked as hard as we fucking could to get him. He was working as hard as he fucking could to make money and not get caught. I, I, I there was there's a respect factor there. Um, and his 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 brain is second to none. And it, 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 to discount how smart he was um, would be a big mistake. And, and to not have respect for that. Um, and it was getting into his mind and understanding the creative aspects of what drove him. So to go to where you were going, Morgan. So as we as this finishes up, we decide we're going to do the arrest in September of LaRue. Now, the fucking arrest of LaRue became a shit show. OK, that was one of the greatest things in the world. It was, you know, we're doing this takedown and there, there's a lot of meandering to get there. But when we were getting ready to make entry into the place, his, his wife's in there uh, with or girlfriend slash wife is in there with him because he had another wife, too. You know, Paul didn't did, Paul never found the woman he didn't like or didn't like his money. Um, <laughs> she uh, she's sitting in there with him. We're going to make entry into the house, but we can't make it, right? It's We're on foreign Where soil. Where are you located right now? In yeah, Liberia. In Liberia. Okay. We're in Liberia. And we had, we had put together this elaborate plan. We had already had the undercover meeting between the um, Colombian source, um, the original source, and LaRue. During that conversation, LaRue admits to murders. He talks about the people that's been killed to impress the Colombians, right? Mm-hmm. Because he thinks this guy's like, you know, he gets Mr. it. Mr. Fark. Yeah, yeah. He's the yeah. Colombian cartel guy. Oh, let me take a step back for a second, Morgan. We kind of digress. So when you were talking about um, was he playing a Fark guy, and we said, no, he's a regular cartel guy. SDMY wanted us to get, um, uh, try and get a big weapons charge. So what we did is we elicited the help of somebody who was knowledgeable and worked within the Shan state, which is in Myanmar, okay, in Southeast Asia. And our goal was the FARC thing had been overplayed, okay? So we couldn't use FARC. And we knew this would intrigue— well, It had been overplayed in this case or by others? By others. By others. By Everybody, Booth, the Victor Boot case. Yeah, it fronted it all out. So, so our thing was is let's use something different. So and we had the ability to be backstop because we had some protection in Myanmar. And we had a guy give us a weapons list of what Yod Sirk, who was a warlord in Myanmar in the Shan state, wanted. And so we took that list, we provided it to LaRue, and LaRue was like, Yeah, I think I can do it. I can do it in pieces. Let me get you prices. And we start talking about all this. Well, the funny thing that happened is we didn't know that the source's number by this time had been tasked to the intelligence community, right? And everybody was going shitstorm. And Lou Millione hears this. He's like, whoa, time the fuck out. That's my guy's running an op. You know? (laughs) So, yeah. So, but uh, it was kind of funny, you know, but, but, but we did that last thing. And we didn't use that in any of the charges, but if LaRue, oh, when he was caught, if we would have had to go to trial, SDMY would have tacked that on. You know, they, they'll tack on everything they can tack on and crush you. They're um, not bashful. No, they're not bashful. Um, so anyway, we get to the arrest, so we're getting ready to make entry into the door, right? We, have to t- we can't make entry because we can't technically make the arrest. We're just there as observers, right, to help with evidence where they need help. 
Um, he uh, Now the red notice has been launched for him, uh, which is an international arrest warrant. Yeah, Interpol will put out red notices, blue notices, things like that. But a red notice is, the, I think, the highest level, right? So the red notice is going to get launched. Um, he is going to be um, judicially expelled from Liberia based upon the red notice. And it just so happens that the United <laughs> States government is present in Liberia in order to take him so that he can go back to the Southern District of New York and stand for those charges. Just happens to be there with a jet aircraft, right? Just happened to be there with a jet aircraft. Derek Maltz is with us on this one. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Derek, Lou, this is, look, this is a big one. This is a big yeah. one. Lou oh, is, yeah. Lou's there. Wim's there. Um, we have, I mean, look, the BIU unit that helped us in that, it, you know, not, there's no way Eric and I could have done this ourselves. We had tremendous help from everybody. It could not have been done without a coordinated effort. That's why, like, when you talk about, you know, talking about these cases and, and, and I mentioned names. And the reason I mentioned names is because I didn't do this in a fucking box. Right. You know, right. I, I couldn't have done it without all the help I have. I just I just happened to be the case lead case agent with Eric Stouch on it. Um. But we have these two massive Liberians, right? And they're knocking on the door. And um, LaRue, LaRue's going, who is it? And they go, we housekeeping. You know, he opens the door. The Liberians go in. And, and Eric had told me prior, look, this is anti Wait a minute. He felt he fell for the housekeeping yes, routine. He did. That's yes. like Saturday Night Live, Landshark. Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> Candy Graham. So, 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 so Eric always told me before, he goes, ah, these arrests are anticlimactic, not a big deal, you know? So they go in, and they've got him in a chair. I grab the computer immediately from the, Cindy Kayanen, who was his wife or girl, girlfriend, and I grab his computer. And I move them because I don't want them. I don't know if he has the delete switch, anything like that. So we grab them, separate them off. LaRue at the same time goes into a complete passive resistance mode. Now, for those of you who don't know what LaRue looks like, it's about five foot 10, 350 pounds, and he looks like a rugby player. He's just a big round ball, and he's strong. <laughs> Oh, okay. yeah? Oh, yeah, strong, strong. And he just goes into this passive resistance mode. And Eric's hitting him with the pressure points, trying to get him to release his hands. He's not releasing his hands. I'm getting ready. I'm like, at this point, I was like, oh, fuck this. So I'm pulling out my fist. I'm getting ready to punch. When Brown goes, no, don't hit him like that. So I don't, hold, I don't hit him. And then the Liberian cops goes, sir, stop resisting or I will shoot you. Eric, oh, like, well, because it's Africa. It goes from zero to 60. It's give up. If you don't give up, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And that's how okay. Africa operates. That's, that's kind of it. You know, there's and, no. And what did LaRue do? He gave up. He, gave up. <laughs> he knew the game. Yeah. So, so, but then the great thing is, is he gets cuffed and we're all sitting there and he's, and I'm going to ride with him to the um, national security agencies of Liberia's place and uh, holding facility. and Which, let's be clear, we're not talking about the United States NSA. This is Liberia's version of their, their federal law enforcement correct. national security agency. C correct. And LaRue, um, immediately, he looks at those guys and he goes, my African brothers, what do I have to do for you to release me? You know, do you need money? 
What do you need? You know, these U.S. imperialists. He starts going off and starts immediately trying to bribe people in front of us. Doesn't hesitate. Doesn't skip a fucking beat. They're like, sir, don't talk to us. Don't talk to us. We get him in the car. We get him, we get him over to Liberia's uh, headquarters. He immediately starts trying to bribe the people in the headquarters. Okay? And... This is going back and forth for hours. We're trying to get it because Lou and them are trying to get the person, the person with authority to come and judicially expel LaRue from there. We're also trying to get all our shit loaded on the plane that's waiting for us. There's a lot of moving parts in this. Okay. And so LaRue's LaRue at some point when Lou and I are sitting in the room, he goes, look, I apologize in advance, guys, but I'm not getting on that fucking plane. And Lou, Lou looks at me and goes, Paul, you're getting on that plane, and this is how this is going to work. You're going to behave, and this is what's going to happen. Paul goes, I'm not getting on the plane. So Lou goes out. He starts the bribery shit again. So they judicially expel him from Liberia in this formal, quote-unquote, formal ceremony. The guy comes. They talk to him. Judicial arrest warrant. We're expelling you. U.S. authorities are here. They're going to take you back to the Southern District of New York. Uh, good luck to you, sir. Right. Paul goes ah, and goes into this yelling passive resistance mode and will not let go. I mean, there's like t- uh, 10 of us trying to get his arms and get him handcuffed. Right. We're getting shackles on him. Right. And, and it takes I shit you not. 10 of us to carry him down three flights of stairs and shackles. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. And we got a van waiting for us. And, and, and for those of you who don't know Africa, it's the rainy season. So when it rains in Africa, it's like a waterfall pouring on your fucking head, right? So we get him in the van. And Paul's, like, in the van. We get him cr- just pushed enough. And they get the door shut. And they're like, shut the door. Boom. And he's, like, turned inside out like this, cuffed and everything like that. We're all finally in the car. We're like, fuck, right? We get moving. We start driving in the van, and Paul starts laughing. And he get, and we're and Lou looks at him and goes, "What's your fucking problem?" Lou's fucking pissed, right? Because this has been a shit storm of an ordeal. This has taken fucking forty five minutes to get him down three flights of stairs, right? Oh, and, and Paul goes, "I did apologize in advance." And Lou's like, God damn it, let me tell you how this is going to work. So we get him, Paul goes, look, I'll behave, I'll behave, I'll do everything you say. So we get him unhooked and get him, get him, get him hooked again properly, got him sitting comfortably. Now, I'm going to tell you something. He did not bitch once about getting carried down three flights of stairs. He did not have a bruise on him. He was a big boy about the whole thing the whole time. Like he didn't go, oh, I hurt. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. Get him down the three flights of stairs. We're in the van, on our way. Everything's great. We get a fucking flat tire in the fucking van. <laughs> hey, did you have a Murphy in there with you? Oh, oh. Murphy's long, man. And it's pouring down. Like I said, it's pouring fucking rain. We pull over to this fucking place. The, the Liberian driver goes, gets enough air in it, gets us to the airport. We get Paul on the plane. <laughs> On our way back to Southern District of New York. This is where it's all going to end. We're all happy, right? That's what we think. That's what we fucking thought. And we get in the plane. We do the initial stuff where we, where we, 
print him, you know, strip search him, do all that stuff, getting him on the plane. Got him on the plane. He's sitting down. We finally got him comfortable. We're getting ready to take off. And, you know, we get taken off and we're sitting there and Eric and I are sitting across from him and we're tired, right? And everybody's sitting there and he, go, and we, and he goes, <sighs> what's he say? He goes, um, he, he's, he's just like, so, gentlemen, he, he goes, well played, well played, gentlemen. And we're like, fucking, we're looking at each other like, this guy is fucking out of his mind, right? He goes, but if you're interested in me, you're obviously interested in much bigger things. Eric goes, nah, Paul, you're kind of the fucking prize, bro. You're it. He goes, nation states, gentlemen, nation states. <laughs> and we're like, like, are you fucking kidding me? And so we go through this whole thing, this whole routine of he wants some sort of uh, immunity and all this stuff to cooperate with us. Um, we go, look, it doesn't work that way. You have to have the attorneys involved and we can't make those decisions. Look, our bosses are here. We're using Derek. We're using Lou. We're using Wim. We have no fucking say. Look, mm -hmm. we, this goes on for an hour and a half. We're all tired. Eric and I have been up like fucking, you know, 24 hours, 36 hours at this point anyway. You know, I'm hoping he just shuts the fuck up so I can go to sleep. Okay. I, I mean, I'm being completely honest. And then fucking uh, Paul, Paul, true to form, he goes, okay, gentlemen, I'll talk. And he started telling us things for nine fucking hours. <laughs> now, are you taking notes? You got a recorder? What are you doing here? Handwriting notes, handwriting notes, handwriting notes, and we're going Did back. Did anybody and... ever talk to you about the concept of a recorder? Yeah. We Nobody didn't... ever flips like that. <laughs> no. 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 So we, um, he, 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 he cooperates with us, which was a great day for us. And he starts shedding light on deals he did, a missile system he had created with the Iranians or for the Iranians. Um, and it was for mid-range, short to mid-range missiles. Um, he got paid $5 million in gold for that. Which we know a lot of those end up in the Houthi rebels and some other proxies that uh, Iran has. Well, the big, in the interesting thing about this one was, is what he was trying to do is his soul, his particular purpose was to overwhelm the Iron Dome of Israel. He said they could be used by Hezbollah or Hamas to overwhelm the Iron Dome because he figured out how to do it for a ridiculously low price. What he would do is he'd go get batch GPSs off the shelf at like Walmart or wherever. Because these missiles were missing guidance systems. Yep. And what he would do is he'd exploit the flaws in the GPS chips and enhance their capabilities. And he said they won't be exact, but they'll be within 150 meters, 100, 150 meters of hitting their target. And he says, wow. and he says, I can do it for about eh, 1500 bucks, thousand bucks. Wow. What he wanted was um, diplomatic status from Iran because he figured then he couldn't be arrested. Yeah. That might've been a flaw in his reasoning too. Yeah. Yeah. But so Paul, Paul lays that out. He lays out his association with the North Koreans that ran through the Chinese triads. Um, he told us about those people. And um, then he talked about his mercenary team. And that was a, a group led by Joseph Hunter. Um, and so 
as we're trying to figure all this out, so we get back to New York. We have meeting after meeting. We start setting this up. And, you know, you, a lot of people think you're done at that point. We're off to the races now. Okay. We're spending months and months and months with Paul trying to understand his entire reach, his entire business structure. We're trying to, we're, we're trying to, at this point, assist with Minnesota and because we can't let his pharmaceutical business continue to run, right? We've got to make that die, but we got to make that die and look legitimate for us and, and not, and not, not screw things up at the same time. Um, well, hey, to the world, how many people, I mean, how were you able to contain the arrest of LaRue? Because he's a big player, right? So if he disappears off the radar, somebody's got to know. He didn't disappear off the radar. LaRue did everything from behind the computer and over the phone. He was, he was the post, he was the COVID era before the COVID era. Okay. So he would do everything and he had PGP on each side of phones. He had his, his, his system on his computer was all designed by him. No, people forget Paul was um, the original uh, developer of something called E4M, which is encryption for the masses. That it was the genesis of what TrueCrypt was. Okay, for protecting your computer system and and the information on your computer system. So Paul knew how to protect the information. The only thing you can't the only way you can exploit. A computer system like that is to have a fucking source because then you're getting the information whether he intends it or not. The only thing he's protecting it from is prying eyes. So and him operating on a computer and the phone is just standard operating procedure that he's Correct. done for years. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Wow. Correct. And Good so, stuff. Hey, but real quick too, Tommy, yeah. can you confirm? I mean, I, I was reading the book and stuff, but is it true that Paul did a stint with – uh, Britain's version of NSA called GCHQ. He was there for a while on the inside of a very secretive intelligence organization. Yes, he was. And, and, and that came, you know, it came directly out of his mouth. He worked for GCHQ. He was a self-taught cryptologist, um, which, you know, is a un unique thing, you know, because you're trained methodologic, method methodically in jobs like that, right? Um, Paul didn't have the same training, so he wasn't bound by the same constraints. He did everything his own way. Um, the other thing is, is Paul had the missile guidance system. He was hiring Romanians from Craigslist who were engineers to come over and work in the Philippines with him on the development of this missile system. And it was, you know, because post the fall of Ceausescu, right? What did a bunch of Romanian engineers do for a job? Right. You had to, you had to go find somewhere. Well, Paul would advertise, come to the Philippines, you know, you get paid $5,000 a month in the Philippines, $6,000 a month in the Philippines. You're living pretty high on the hog, bro. You know? And let me tell you, that's that's what happened after the Cold War ended, after the fall of the Soviet Union. You started getting this whole group of people who were real nuclear scientists. They were rocket scientists. They were intelligence people. That I mean, and they're looking for work now. They're looking for jobs. And they've, USSR, before they exploded, right? Had all of these satellite countries and tentacles into all of these places. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's how he was hiring them. He built a supersonic wind tunnel in the Philippines in order to test things. 
he was innovative as hell. He was, I mean, if Paul would have used his mind for good, God knows, you know, you know, he probably just would have been another Bill Gates who doesn't really do any fucking good, but makes a lot of money. <laughs> now, don't hold back. Tell well, us what you really think about this stuff. Or, or, you go or, on or, that. He might, or he might have been hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein like, like Gates and well, them, too. Well, but you know, but as we all know, like Christmas lights, Epstein didn't hang himself either. Right. Um, no, just every <laughs> Hang, hey, hanging Ed, out takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? It does when you're with <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, yeah. Hey, but at, at, at his peak of his career, how much do you think uh, LaRue was worth? Um, so LaRue said on the pharmaceutical business alone, he was grossing $9 million a month. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Okay, but it wasn't enough for him. You know, one of the quotes he said to us, one time we were sitting there and we were discussing him owning an island. And I said, you own a fucking island? He goes, every good villain has an island, Tom. Yeah, the stereotypical. Yeah, I mean, but he said, I made a, I made a strategic error. It was in the southern Philippines. So it was Abu Sayyaf territory. He said, I'd have spent more time protecting it and fighting for it than I would doing anything with it. Yeah, and there's a unique thing about Abu Sayyaf. That is the only Islamic terrorist group that is uh, headquartered or based out of a non-Islamic nation. That's interesting, yeah. There so, you go. So Seton yeah. taught you something on this podcast. Yeah. There you go. Huh. There you go. So, yeah. So, Paul Paul did that. So, then we had to come up with what would be the next step in all this. And so, we locked up Paul. turned out to be September of 2012. And... It took us through the holidays. It took us about, yeah, through the holidays to figure out how we were going to shut down his business and understand everything. And then come the first of the year, we went up and met with him again. And it was like, what are we going to do? And how are we going to fucking do this? And Eric and I ended up in a, in a bar on uh, Atlantic Street in Brooklyn. And we sat down. We start drinking beer. We got our napkins and we got our pens, and we were eating popcorn. <laughs> they had popcorn there, and we we're like, "What the fuck do we do?" And we started. This is old school planning right here. This is the way it used to be done. <laughs> yeah, and we sat there and we drank beer and we ate popcorn and we sketched out what it was going to be and we decided, okay, because we had gone through and this is where the nothing behind the curtain is going. We tried to talk to the fucking FBI about. You know, the technology aspect of LaRue with the Iranians. It got a bunch of hand job bullshit from the FBI, so fuck them. We just kind of were like, okay, that's done. Um, we called our CIA liaison over at SOD. That was a fucking giant ham job by the agency. So we're like, fuck them too. So we're like, how do we do this? Well, the why, one thing. Why were these guys not interested in WMD stuff? I mean, we're talking about a state sponsor of terrorism. You've got a credible actor who actually has a credible solution to solving a big problem. Uh, they were have trying to shoot rockets into Israel. Why is why did this not get elevated to a, a, a high priority? They didn't believe us. They thought we were making shit up. I'm not kidding you. Unbelievable. They thought we were making shit up. We get look, look at the evidence. Look at all this. I'll be honest with you. I ran into the same problem after I retired. I went to a meeting down at the CIA because I may have been trying to do some contract work. They asked me about LaRue and they go, well, that's not evidence. I said, the Southern District of New York says it's fucking evidence. What the fuck? Don't you guys understand what fucking evidence is? And I got in an argument with them and I walked out. Well, they don't because they don't, they don't worry about evidence. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, they don't have to. They don't. They don't investigate criminal cases. They don't have right. to go to a grand jury. You know, they're an intelligence organization. Well, and here's the other thing, and this is the thing I found with in in, in the case of um, Larue, because I've had great dealings with some other FBI agents and different things like that. So it's not all of them. But what I find is, is there in the Larue case, if it wasn't somebody else's grab, if it wasn't their grab. Meaning if they weren't the ones who arrested LaRue and the information wasn't theirs, then it can't be right because they would have known about it had that been the case. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, a bunch of cowboy DEA agents can't be the ones who who fucking arrest a guy like this. And, and that's really what it comes down to. I mean, we used to laugh with a bag of money and a fucking a bag of money and a good driver. We can do anything in fucking Africa. Right. Um, We would because we didn't have the technology. So we would just blend into things. You know, I talked to some friends who 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 do communication stuff with the military. And they said, actually, you guys doing that the way you did it, you didn't even know what you were doing. But you just kind of became invisible by getting burner phones and operating off of them. You know, unless that number's passed, nobody's going to pay attention to you. You're just another fucking group. Wow. So everybody, I mean, so now let's let's kind of bring it now because at some point, the real concern too is he's got mercenaries out there. He's got people who are contract killers. He's got people who are definitely threats to humans. So you've got the business to shut down on one hand, but you've also got these mercenaries and these, you know, hired killers on the other hand. So so here's the thing. So then we went, as we were looking at this and we when we were sketching on napkins, we're like, what can we do? And what we figured out we could do, if we can do what DEA always does, we're really good at drug fucking cases. So we said, okay, North Korea's on the table. And then we said, okay, we got to do the mercenaries because the mercenaries, you know, they're Western trained mercenaries. So there's a certain obligation there, okay? Um, two of them being U.S., former U.S. Well, that's soldiers. what I was about to say, U.S. Army sniper instructors, yeah. Yeah, two, dangerous types. Yeah, two, two, two former U.S. military guys. Um, two West Germans and a Polish Grom. Okay. So we were like, okay, they've got to be taken off the board. And so we were focusing on that. And, and on the meth side, we were looking at the two meth dealers. And there were these two other guys, three other guys that were involved with the Chinese triad meth dealers. Right. And we were like, we didn't even want to fuck with them. We wanted to leave them alone, right? We were like, just quick fucking call in LaRue. They kept calling LaRue. Hey, I got a dirty Cambodian general. We can build a meth lab here. Hey, I can do this here. They just wanted to keep making money. So we were like, fuck, you guys are going to make us put you in jail. You, you, you know, we were going to fucking let you fucking, we were going to fucking ignore fucking you. Fucking LaRue. You're, yeah. you're LaRueing us. Yeah, yeah. So we were going to focus on the, on just those two things. And these guys just kept showing up, showing up. So they, they, and they were all members or affiliated with, two, one was a member and the other was a sergeant of arms of the outlaw motorcycle gang in Bangkok. And the other two were affiliates of them, but just basically drug dealers and nefarious types. So. When we figured out, when we finally decided, you know, okay, now we're back and we're like, we're gathering evidence now. We're making trips back and forth to Thailand. Um, We're gathering evidence, doing undercover meetings. Everything's moving at a very good pace. And then we're like, okay, this is getting unwieldy. How do we pull it all together? And we decide 
that we go to the Southern District of New York. Eric and I came up with the idea. We are going to have the outlaw motorcycle gang guys be the transfer people for the Chinese triads, okay, who are moving meth to the United States. And they're also, the outlaws are going to protect the load. So we're going to knock off those guys. And then in the other side of the conspiracy, we're going to knock off the mercenaries. And we're going to do this all in one fucking day. Like, like we've heard of regular chess. We've heard of 3D chess. You're playing 12D chess right now. <laughs> well, so we go in and our two prosecutors, and I'll tell you. Well, first of all, I got to ask, why the fuck would you want to, I mean, was life not hard enough, but you're trying to orchestrate how many different operations on how many different continents to all come together at the same time? Because here's the thing. we If we knocked off one, some of the other ones would hear. We may not catch everyone. So our goal, again, the SOD mantra, especially the BIU mantra was not just arrest, but get them back to the U.S. People. Yeah, people. So, people, so it was people, an originally – it was originally a question to you, Tommy. How many different operations on how many different continents were going on at the same time? Three different operations on uh, – no, three continents, three different operations, nine different people, something like that, yeah. Oh, Ten different geez. people. Ten people. Ten different people, yeah. Ten different people. So, but the it, the 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 really interesting thing on that was is when we were sitting there, we went to the we went to the U.S. Attorney's Office, right, to tell them this is Eric and I to tell them this is what we were going to do, right? And we had two really really fucking stellar prosecutors, Michael Lockard and Rachel Kovner. And Rachel Kovner, just to give you an idea, she's known as the Wizard of Palo Alto. She has the highest GPA in Stanford law history. Okay, she's now a judge in the Eastern District of New York, and she is the, one of the most brilliant people I've ever talked to and seen streamlined through shit than you can ever imagine. We sit down and we say, "This is what the this is what we're going to do." We basically do the Babe Ruth thing, like we kind of call our shot, and. They look at us and they go, yeah, guys, good fucking luck, right? Good fucking luck, you know? Um, so, so over the course of the next year, we did these meetings. We did them in places like – we did them in, in Phuket, Thailand. We did hey, whoa, them in whoa, 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 back up because I want people to understand over the course of the next year, LaRue is on – federal ice at this point in the United States, and you've still got all of this in play and nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. We had a couple hiccups. We thought people were going to know, but we were able to keep everything under wraps. Um, it were, we were fortunate. We got a lot of luck in that. Trust me. We got a lot of fucking luck in that. And um, But we're running these meetings. and I mean, like there was one we had to go to Mauritius for a meeting, right? Look, I'll Is be honest with you. Yeah. I looked at Eric. I go, where the fuck's Mauritius? Yeah, Sounds like Eric, a disease. I, and, got, I got a little Mauritius of the nipple. Yeah, well. and Eric goes, you know, and so we're looking at it afterwards. It's a tiny little island off the off coast. The coast of Africa. Off the coast of Madagascar. Madagascar, way out there. Way out. So you have Africa, Madagascar, which is part of Africa, then Mauritius. We end up on Mauritius. It's me and Eric. Four sources, 16 bad guys. Those are good odds. And we have, we have the mercenary team doing surveillance on bad guys having a meeting with our sources. Dang. 
Okay. The then we had so we had we had two bad guys come in because we were trying to sell LaRue's missile system to see if we could get garner some people in there. Then we had this, we call them the war criminals, this Serbo-Croat group from uh the um uh from the 90s from the war who were involved in all sorts of drug trafficking. And they have a meeting with our Colombians, right? And we have the sources doing security for the Columbia, or the the our mercenaries doing uh, doing um, security for the Colombian on this one. So they think the Colombians are legit bad guys. So everybody is in the fucking stew. Eric and I are in the gym at times, and the, and two of the bad guys are in the gym working out with us. <laughs> Jeez. Ah. Uh, I mean, you got no cover either, do you? No, it's just me and him down there. The 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 ambassador. It, it's a consulate. The 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 I guess charge or the ambassador. She was cool. She was fine with us. And and the number two of the the agency down there is like, yeah, just yell if you need something. We're like, okay, yeah. And then and then a, a category three typhoon comes through while we're fucking there. So you know. <laughs> Uh, what could you know? What else? What else could go wrong at this point? Yeah. The only other thing is they could run out of beer on the island. Yeah. Well, they didn't do that, thank God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because because our best thinking goes when everybody leaves and he and I sit. I, I mean, no bullshit. I, everybody laughs. We sit down with napkins and pens and drink beer and talk, and that's how we fucking figure shit out. It sounds like uh, um, from Lord of Rings, Tyrion, or I think it was Tyrion, right? I drink and I know things. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> I think that's how it comes. When, when we decided to do the final takedown, we, we were, it was like late May, and things were going good, and we go, okay, we need a couple more things. And we were sitting in Phuket, Thailand, and it just we were sitting there, and I got cheap fucking Singhai light beer. It's fucking hot as dog shit, right? You're looking out the window. You know, you know how Asia is with all the fucking uh, electricity going into all these different places. It's nighttime. It just has this net nefarious feel to it, right? We're sitting there, we're going, "How the fuck are we going to end this?" <laughs> right? And that's when we start drinking beer and sketching again, and we come up with our plan. How are we going to end this and survive? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and again, look, I'll be honest with you, the the. The groups and the DEA country offices, man, they were fucking stellar. Without them, I mean, like it wouldn't have been able to be pulled off. Like well, every... that's what that's what makes DEA work. You know, I, I understand that OIG is doing some review of the yeah. of DEA's international program. That's what makes DEA so freaking powerful, successful. Yeah, it's because you got not only do you have personnel around the world, but you've got the connections in the different countries. Yeah, it's that's, invaluable. That's the whole thing. It's the relationships. It's the contacts. It's the sources. That's what makes cases not sitting in an office somewhere going, "Well, I think we're going to go after Larue, and I think I will personally do it, and I don't need any help. Just hold my beer, right?" It doesn't happen that way. Now, I, I got to ask you, Tommy, though. Sure. You and so you and Eric are sitting in all these different locations. You got your cold beers. You got your napkins. I mean, and that really is old school way. That's the way you, we used to do deals. That's why you you just did deals. But how many times? How many times did it come to your mind? How the hell did I get here? What am I doing here? All the fucking time, Eric and I would look at each other, Murph, and we go, "Not bad for a couple ghetto cops," because Eric has a similar background as me. I was a DC cop. He was a Baltimore city cop. Okay. 
I left D.C., he left Baltimore City. I go back to my hometown, he goes back to his hometown. I end up on DEA, he ends up on DEA. We end up in D.C. together. We ended up on the Met team crossing with each other. We ended up in Baltimore at the same time together. And then we end up at SOD together. I mean, you know. So when you guys were traveling, you guys were so close when you were traveling and spooning, who was front and who was back? I'm always back. We always talk about that. I'm always back. I'm bigger, than, I'm bigger than him. I'm bigger than him. Now, what do you mean, you know, bigger you than know, him? You know we're going to have Eric on the show here. So, you know, you better get your shots in there. <laughs> and this and this is why it was difficult. One of the things we've had to do, make decisions, is we can only have one guest on the show because just logistics, it makes it tough. But you can see right now, it's just tough enough keeping Tom. You know, Tommy's got a lot of stuff. If you would have put him on, too. I well, mean, it's like, oh my, Eric. And this, was, yeah. this wasn't yeah. their only case. That's why we're going to bring Eric That's why I said, in. We'll bring He's him got on. a case. Yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. So let's let's now let's now take us on the final pass. So you're working all these things. You're playing 12D chess. You're trying to align three different operations. You know, with ten suspects, three different continents. Um, wh what what finally comes together? You said you're trying to figure out your end game. What was what finally clicked that said, ah, this is our end game? So we just needed a little more. We needed to put everybody in play, and we needed to get approvals to put everybody in play. And the plan was, we had our Colombian. Heading to like the same Colombian we used on LaRue, we used him again. And he and and that was because we used him throughout the operation and and the mercenaries knew him. They knew him as a Colombian boss associated with LaRue. So we decide we're gonna do that operation in Estonia. Okay. He is going to be meeting with an Estonian bad guy, and those guys are gonna do um, security coverage for him. Okay. And again, the reason we pick Estonia is Estonia was a place we had used before. It had been used on numerous extraditions. The, the police are great. Um, what a, just a tremendous, tremendous law enforcement uh, and DEA friend. Um, and we had great agents there. We had um, Chris Urban and Ryan Rapaski um, from Copenhagen covered that area. And then um, we were going to take down uh, the mercenary crew in Liberia. And um, we had, they were flying, those two of the mercenaries, and, and I should say this, we didn't even discuss this really. Um, part of the mercenary crew is we were going to, they were going to do a hit on who they believed was a DEA agent and a DEA source. Um, and the DEA agent um, used, and we put a whole dossier together, was actually Lou Millione had pictures taken where he was the DEA agent. And one of our... Um, uh, other agents, who I won't name him because he still does a lot of undercover, uh, um, but he uh, and he he's got an ethnic thing that's that I don't want to mess up. Um, he uh, he played the source, and we would take pictures of that meeting, and we provided that to um, the bad guys so they knew who their dossiers were. We used a lot of things that happened in Larue to show that these guys were were providing information to the Colombians. There was a 200 kilo shipment of cocaine that got taken off the Isle of Tonga uh, or washed up off the Isle of Tonga um, that somebody associated, a captain Ivan associated with LaRue was supposed to take across the uh, fucking Pacific. Um, he died somewhere along the way and this, this cocaine washed up in Tonga. So we used that as an example to Hunter and the mercenaries that this is what happened. These snitches told them, they told this DEA agent. Um, and, and, you know, it was enough for 
um, Hunter to believe because Hunter goes, no, the U.S. government wouldn't, you know, nobody from, uh, uh, it wouldn't just wash up like that. It was a U.S. government operation. Like, it was enough truth that he believed it. He believed in his mind that the U.S. government could put fake stories in the paper, which we all know they do. They do that all the fucking time, you know, especially if you're the intelligence agencies. <laughs> but I digress again. But um, yeah, I mean, so so yeah, it, 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 it all had enough ring of truth that these guys all bought into it. So we had two of the mercenaries that were going to be traveling from uh, Thailand through Kenya and into Liberia. Wim Brown gets on the plane with them in Kenya because he's in Kenya um, and, and follows them all the way into Liberia. At the same time, Pat Picciano and the Bangkok officer working with us to take off Hunter and the, and the meth guys on uh, over in um, in Thailand, over at, not in Bangkok, we were down in Phuket, um, and the Thai, Pat, Pat Picciano and the Thai office were critical to that operation. Um, so yeah, it, it was a giant, you know. And, and to get in, like, like we've talked for hours now, but I, I could do another fucking four hours telling you exactly the differences and how these things ended up. I mean, the meth guys, one of the meth guys was probably the biggest drug trafficker of the group. He probably moved 100,000 kilos of meth um, that we were able to, that he admitted to to us and had direct ties to the 14K triad. Uh, Hunter and his, Hunter ended up going to trial with two other guys who killed a real estate agent in the Philippines. And we actually took him to trial in the Southern District of New York. And this was after everybody had pled guilty. We had identified those guys through the use of uh, our analysts and a lot of records and some sources. And, you know, we were able to make the case against two, two guys from Roxborough, North Carolina, who murdered a woman in the Philippines on behalf of LaRue. Um, so, and then we had the mercenaries, right? So, and, and, and that doesn't even, and I didn't even scratch the surface of the whole missiles. I mean, like each one of these, we could probably do an hour on where I could tell you about each of these people and each of these sections. So, Tommy, as we now bring this to a close, you've been working all of this. You've got these guys set up, like I said, you know, lose on a plane, you're bringing them together. So you and Eric are obviously basically in your version of a command center. You're watching everything go on. You're coordinating this. So give us the final, you know, takedowns, you know, that are going on, the things that you're trying to organize. Because like with anything, right, it never goes according to plan. You've got some oh shits. By the way, if the book is correct, there were a lot of fucks involved in this, too. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's kind of funny. Um, so Lou Millione's in the room with us, and he's 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 watching me and Eric navigate this fucking mess that we're in the middle of. And fuck was said a lot to the point where I said he it said to Elaine Shannon after the book came out. I said, really? I said, is that the fucking only word that that these that the American public's going to think I can fucking say? And she goes, well, it is. You know, <laughs> so we laugh, right? Um, um, but yeah, so we're in this room and it's a command center and we're trying to get Hunter grabbed first, right? Uh, and it becomes critical. Why? He's the leader of the organization. If we grab him first, we know he, we don't want him to get away. He was LaRue's right-hand man on the security side. He was command and control for the mercenaries. And he was also extremely knowledgeable about other aspects related to things that may develop later on with people like, and, and we haven't even talked about him, Dave Smith and different things like that. Right. But he was also a, a real, I mean, he was an order taker extreme. He didn't question anything. He did whatever LaRue wanted, right? Anything LaRue wanted, as long as he got paid. He was a mercenary through and through. 
Okay. Um, so we wanted to grab him first. So we, we had an idea of where they were. LaRue had had a safe house in Phuket and we were set up on the safe house, but true to any form, you can't tell a fucking general from a goddamn foreign country. You need to listen to a couple fucking DEA agents about how they should handle shit in their country, right? Murph, you can, I'm sure, appreciate that. So as we're waiting, this general goes, no, we're getting a so-and-so meter hit on their phone. They're in that house. We're going fucking in. Now, let me tell you, these little Thai commandos are badass motherfuckers, right? They're little badasses. They go in, they hit this house, ain't a fucking soul there, right? There's, there's all this stuff there for like, oh, fuck. Eric and I, that's when, our, that's when the pucker factor comes in for me and Eric. We're like, fuck, where is he? First, where is he? first thing out the door, they go early, but you hit a dry hole. Yeah, you're like, just like, fuck, right? And, and then we're like, Eric and I remembered they liked to play golf, and there was a, a, a place near there where they played golf, and one of the other guys was staying. So we start fucking doing uh, fucking hits on the uh, we're using we're tracking phones because we we had used these phones and we were tracking our phones and we're looking at all this stuff and we're hitting and hitting and he's like not hitting not hitting fucking tie cops go fuck this boom hit the second fucking door we waited like two hours I'm like oh they it, they call me Jimmy Grace was my boss at the time he calls me and he goes. Tommy is not here. I said, you're fucking kidding me, Jimmy. Fuck you. Tell me he's there. I said, quit fucking with me. He's like, Tommy's not here. I'm not fucking kidding you. I wouldn't do that hey, to Tommy, you. Hey, Tommy, do you know any other word other than fuck? No. no. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm yelling at Jimmy. I'm so, I just hang up the phone. I just, I just put my hands in my head. I'm like, Eric, I don't know who the fuck he is. I don't know what to do. We got a team back in the States that's sitting with LaRue in a, in a, in a hotel room. Eric calls. Eric's like, Gets gets on the phone. Paul Larson's with him. He goes, he goes, he goes. Put Paul on the phone. Larue gets on the phone. He goes, he goes. We can't find him. This is what's going on. He goes, ah, oh, he's there, guys. Relax, just come be. He goes, he's probably on a motorcycle with a girl. Fucking motorcycle with a girl. What the fuck are you talking about? We all pull back, have surveillance set up. You know, at the same time, I'm like, I'm like, we can't wait on these other things. Launch the fucking Estonians, have them do their hit. So they hit their guy in Estonia and grab them. They said, no, just keep them on ice. Don't let them get to the phones. You know, we give all the instruction. Estonians grab their guys. It's good. Okay. They're still in the flight. Like they land in Ghana. So, so when the, the plane with the two mercenaries going to kill the DA agent land in Ghana, Wim's on the plane with them, right? But there's a layover, okay? And from that layover, then you have to fly to Liberia. The arrest team's waiting in Liberia. We're praying to God they don't get off the phone and off the plane in Ghana, right? Like somebody, that's what we got to make sure nobody catches wind. We don't know if Hunter's seen the, the activity at the old house, at this house. So we're fucking on major stress mode, right? Wim, Wim hits us and goes, doors closing. They don't get off. We're like, oh, oh, thank God. You know, adrenaline dump. We're like, okay, we're going to grab those guys. Those guys get up in the air. <clears throat> it's a short flight to Liberia. Those guys get grabbed before Hunter does. So everybody's locked up but Hunter. Right on the on the mercenary on the mercenary side, like what the fuck, man? And Eric and I are starting to panic. We're like, so you've got nine out of ten at this point, right? We don't. No, we have four out of ten. The, the, four out of ten. The okay. meth. The meth guys are last. Okay, so, um, 
we're sitting there, we're like, okay, let's start notifying fucking the the borders, you know, let's start locking this down, get get um, Hunter's name out there, get pictures out of him, start putting up that information. All of a sudden, Pat Picciano comes over to radio. He's on a motorcycle with a girl. <laughs> no Where kidding. The fucking God. The fucking Pat must have, I don't know if Pat rammed him, but the motorcycle goes down. The girl goes down. Nobody's hurt. They grab Hunter, you know, and we're like, oh, thank God we got him. Because then you can worry about the meth guys. The meth guys are segregated out. We can handle that again, okay? We can move to the second phase of this, right? But if we lose Hunter, if we lose Hunter, everything else is a fucking failure. It's a fucking failure. Well, and, and the miraculous thing about this is LaRue knew exactly where he was. Oh, he's just like, LaRue's just, LaRue's always, he, he's like an, he's like a savant on some of this, but I swear to God, it's, it's, it's just one of those ones. Like people don't understand when you're doing this, uh, you miss the main guy. It's a loss. You fucked up. If you don't get every guy, you just spent millions of fucking dollars on this operation and, 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 and people can sit there and go, well, it's not your money. Yeah. Fuck you. You don't know how it feels. You don't know how it feels. This is, this is about getting the job done. And, and if you don't do it, you're a fucking failure. I, I would have been, I would have had the hardest time looking back at my bosses. If we would have gotten him, I'd have been, I'd have felt like shit. I'd have felt like yeah, shit. Yeah, because Derek Maltz would have been going there. There's a picture missing up here. There's no picture oh, up yeah. here. Where's my picture? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And guys will, and guys will break your balls. I mean, you know that, Murph. I mean, oh, you know, the yeah. thing goes, oh, you find Hunter yet? You want to turn? You know where Hunter is yet? Oh, yeah. So now what about the meth guys? Did you get them? Yeah, we got them. So we did those in, in two different phases. The, 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 two, um, the two Chinese guys, well, one Filipino and one, uh, he was ta Taiwanese, but he was, he, he was also from the Fujian province in China. So there's a lot of, he's Chinese as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, he, um, they were the last ones because we knew what hotel they would be in and they were waiting for the call from the Colombians. That was, that was you know, a business deal. So that was very easy to control. We just left some Thai surveillance on them and they knew where they were and everything was fine. Um, the, the, um, outlaw motorcycle guy and the, the affiliate, we had to have them come to an area and that ended up in a fucking foot chase, but the ties weren't going to let them get away after all that, all that time. And a couple, as they call, as they call foreigners, a couple farangs in Thailand, we're going to get grabbed. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did your day last from beginning to end to do all the takedowns? How long were you? Because, again, it's a huge adrenaline rush, but it's a huge adrenaline dump at the end, too. How many hours were you guys going to get these ops done? Well, we barely slept. You're there a, a week ahead of time trying to line everything up. I've been up the week before. There's, there, I, I think in the book they talk about my vision quest. I'm fucking out in the fucking heat running sprints in Thailand, right? And I see a water buffalo. And, and this guy comes out trying to get the water buffalo off the field. He's hitting these fucking crates together. I told Eric, I said, we're going to get him. I had a fucking vision quest, brother. <laughs> and, and, yeah. <laughs> goes, Two crates and a water buffalo. That's the sign of success. Yeah, he goes, I think you're, he goes, I think you're smoking Shabu. You know, we're laughing, you know, but, but yeah, so we, I would say that day ran, I guess we were up probably about 36 hours. Um, but the worst one was honestly, the worst one was when we got LaRue, that was the, I was up probably 72 hours when we arrested LaRue. 
How do you function? You, you barely. Um, and, and like there were times like when they were doing an interview at one point, like me, Eric, and another agent who was working with us, Steve Casey, we would all just go. And then you'd wake up, and then the next one would fall, and you, you, you just kind of are functioning. You, you slept in, uh, you know, small snippets. But, man, but how big of an adrenaline dump when you finally got the last ones done and they're all there? I mean, you just had to – it's kind of like – was there not just some huge relief, especially when you got Hunter, that all of this stuff, just weight just came off your shoulders? Let me tell you, when I got Hunter, I didn't care about anybody else. The, I, I wasn't as worried about the, the other people as I was of Hunter and the mercenaries because everybody that has the propensity for a lot of other things, meaning violence. And so to get them was a big, big, big fucking well, they don't It's already documented they killed people. Yeah. 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 And tortured people and beat up people and committed heinous acts of violence. So that was really important. The, not that the other guys weren't, but it, that just had extra importance. Man, man. So this, I tell you what, when I, when I, I just got to say, when I read the book, Hunting LaRue, you know, by Elaine and, and I know Elaine and she did the book Desperados by right. Kiki. Uh, it was just so exciting reading the book. And I was telling uh, Morgan back then, so we got to get these guys on here. This, this, it was like a walk down memory lane, but what a fantastic example of how re how DEA can reach out like they did with Victor Boot, how yep. they did with uh, all the, the Afghani warlords and, and the people that came out of the Middle East because of their connections around the world. Man, it's just I loved it. And it's having you on here and getting it firsthand. It's just it's phenomenal. This is a great story. Well, I appreciate it. And the guys we had in, that gr in our groups were, were just a unique, diverse group of guys. There were guys like me and Eric who were, who were cops that came from the city. You have guys like um, Jeff Higgins who were doing the Afghan warlord case who was a journalist. Paul, Paul Larson who was a journalist doing cases. Um, Jeff Higgins, who's a, a pretty, pretty significant author now, does a lot of good work, uh, you know, has two, two books out. Um, you have guys like Steve Casey, um, who just come from the background, kind of like me and Eric in Jersey, um, you know, Matt Keller. You just had a, just a very diverse, different group of guys, guys who, who had law degrees like Lou Milliona, Rob Zach, um, you know, Wim Brown, who... who, who you See, know. you can't even pronounce Zach's last name. Everybody calls him Rob no, nobody Zach. can. Nobody well, can. Well, I, I would call him Zarashevitz, but but it but it doesn't make sense with the CK, CH on <laughs> yeah. the end, does or it? Or Manischewitz, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't him on. Hey, but so give us the Note version of just the outcome of the case in terms of convictions, indictments. You know, wh what happened as a result of this? So as a result of this, everybody has either pled guilty... Everybody in the initial case, okay, which was the mercenary case, the the Thai meth traffickers, um, the outlaw motorcycle gang guys, and LaRue and the mercenaries all pled guilty. Everybody pled guilty. Um, no trials. They all pled guilty. As a result of those cases, we identified two people in Roxborough, North, North Carolina, uh, Carl David Stilwell and Adam Samia. Um, they were hired by... Um, Joseph Hunter to commit a murder on behalf of LaRue in the Philippines on a woman named Catherine Lee. Um, we were able to get jurisdiction in that case because the conspiracy to commit the murder took place in the United States, because otherwise we wouldn't have had jurisdiction for the murder. Um, 
that trial, we locked those guys up um, in Roxborough, North Carolina, with the help of the um, Person County Sheriff's Office and the DEA Raleigh Office. And the Person County Sheriff's Office, that what what a great group of guys. I mean, without them, it wouldn't have been not only near as fun to lock those guys up, but we wouldn't have been near as is detailed. They were really good. They still have all the guns. I mean, like we seized like I think 150 guns in that case from these two wow. guys. Um, it is North Carolina. <laughs> 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 um, um, but but yeah, and, and Sheriff Dewey. Jo- I, I got to tell you one story about the sheriff's office down there. Sheriff Dewey Jones is really a great guy. But on their wall out in front, it lists all the sheriffs, right, who have come before him. And then there's a line on one, and it says, last sheriff to hang a man. And I was like, oh, my God. So, wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty badass picture. So they didn't have the hanging. They just had a picture of the sheriff. But he was an old, you could tell he was like one of them old-time guys, like old tough guy. Old-time, man. But, but, yeah, we locked up those two guys. We went to trial on that um, as a result. Um, so Hunter had pled guilty on the on the conspiracy to com- mur- commit murder of the agent and um, and source, and I think got 20 years on that. But then the murder case, when we brought that, Hunter, Sammy, and Stillwell all received life in prison. I think Hunter got life plus 10. Um, so yeah, those three are in life in prison, and they're all you know. Of course, they're all appealing their sentences and shit like that. Of course, shit, they are. Yeah, that all goes on. But but yeah, so we we got an extra two on top of the ten after that case. Um, well, and Hunter was such a tough guy. Yeah, it's such a tough guy. He cried on the plane once he realized what deep shit he was in. Well, they all you know you know they all did. I mean, the one guy Gogol when he got brought to the United States from Liberia, he sat in court and he said. He was all he was all jacked up on steroids. He says he told the judge in court. He goes, "Can I have them so I don't get the man boobs?" Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. He shouts out in court. I mean, look what the fuck, dude. Oh my god, you, you're smoking your own shit. I don't want to get the man boobs like Hans and Franz. No man yeah. boobs. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you, you ain't getting steroids, pal. Oh my god. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so yeah. It, it, you know, there's a lot of other twists and turns in the case. I mean, look, I mean, I'm happy to come back and talk to you guys and fill in details. Or if people have questions and they want to, like, know more about a certain hey, you topic. Know what we need to you do? Know. This, is, this is a Facebook Live. We're going to do a Facebook Live. We'll oh, give, that'd we'll be cool. Some people. Yeah, we'll do that because there's a lot of stuff here. Hey, as we close out, um, you punched out in 2018, but you still kind of stayed active. So what, what keeps you busy other than the fact is after 2 o'clock each day, we're not allowed to contact you? Um, so I started working originally for Wim Brown. I retired and Wim Brown runs a wildlife conservation agency called Focus Conservation. I worked with him for a while doing some, um, uh, wildlife trafficking investigations. Um, but I just got kind of tired of the travel. Um, I, you know, I would say like for the first time in my life, my life is balanced. Um, I'm actually home. I, 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 I'm actually enjoying spending time with my family and I think they're actually enjoying spending time with me. Um, which is more <laughs> That's important. always the question, right? Now mm-hmm. that they've gotten to know you, do they still like you? Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, here's the thing. My kids actually still like me, which I consider, you know, a, a very big plus in my life because oh, yeah. they're not, they're not embarrassed up. Well, they're embarrassed of me at certain times, but, um, as with any child. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, but I, you know, they're, they're still willing to go out and have lunch with me and dinner with me by ourselves. So I think I consider that a big win. Um, <laughs> when I, I did some work, I did some, um, um, 
Anti-Terrorism Act uh, case, civil cases with the Gary Olson law firm and a guy named Dr. David Asher. Um, and we did some work at the State Department on counter China. Specifically, I was on the team that did the um, uh, origins of COVID investigation and was unceremoniously removed. That, that <laughs> is, I already told you before, we don't want to get into it right now because we don't want to take away from the story. But that is a story we're going to go deep on because I'll give you folks the five-second version. What you've been told ain't the truth. Yeah, no, and and I tell you, I, I if when we if you want to do that, you bring on Dr. David Asher too, or you bring on Dr. David Asher first because he is phenomenal and he knows his shit like nobody's business, and he he knows more about this than 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 what's being told out there. So if if we talk about it, is the FBI going to show up in their black uh, outfits with the balaclavas and take us all into custody? Are we okay? I don't know. I keep waiting for them to show up at my house all the fucking (laughs) time. Keep waiting for that flashbang (laughs) to come in through the front door. Yeah, Yeah, look, look, I'm kind of a... I do a lot of like uh, homestead work, like I said. So I, I make my own vanilla extract. And so I was getting vanilla sent to me from Madagascar. And I said, I had a kilo of vanilla getting sent to me on two different occasions, right? And I kept waiting for the door to get kicked in. I said, I hope fucking somebody kicks my door in thinking it's cocaine because fuck, I'm going to own that police department. I'm going to be one. I'll take a fall. I'll take a punch to the face. I'm, well, I'm you know, okay. What the, we've already established you know how to fall. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm good with take. I'll take that. I'm going to suit a fuck out of you when you come by and you open that kilo and it's really fucking vanilla. Fuck you. You'll actually be able to do the old Kojak trick, which we all know is bullshit. As you open it up with your knife, you take a little taste, you go, yeah, it's cocaine. Yeah, it's oh, heroin. Geez. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, it's vanilla. So, yeah, so, 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 yeah, I did, I do work with Dr. David Asher. Um, I'm doing some uh, anti-corruption whistleblower work now. Um, yeah, I stay busy enough. Uh, you know, I, I don't make a living off of my pension, but I have, I, 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 I don't have an extravagant lifestyle. So, you know, I got a nice house. Uh, With I a bunker. Okay. With a bunker, I do okay. <laughs> and I spend, a, I spend, like I said, and it's, um, you know, you guys are joking. Uh, but the reality is, is everybody knows come two o'clock. Don't fucking bother me from two o'clock till sunset. I'm done. I'm done. If you get me in the early fall before the le- before daylight savings time, you get till you'll get till three thirty four o'clock. Okay, <laughs> but once daylight savings time comes, it's fucking See, two o'clock. I have the same problem with Murph from two o'clock on. He's taking his you know third nap or something. I can't get a yeah, hold right. of him. Yeah. And by I the mean, way, I, I'm late. I'm late. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, that's my thing. I, I love to go hunting and I love to spend time in the woods or I like to be fishing. So. You know, that's where I try and spend most of my time. I spend enough time fucking chasing bad guys. And, now and it's time to chase some four-legged creatures. Yeah, hey, it's time to, time to fish and enjoy life a little bit. And, and I got a granddaughter now, which is kind of cool, which everybody laughs at. You got a fucking granddaughter? You know, because I'm, yeah. you know. You know, everybody goes, no. oh, you're only 54. And I said, yeah, but I'm a lot more immature than I than my age fucking <laughs> reveals. Oh, yeah. Same here, hey. too, man. I'm still a kid at heart. Well, hey, look, dude, we'll, we'll definitely have you back. We'll do a Facebook Live. There's so much more to this. Um, but as of right now, the best way for us to close out is folks can't see us, but this is us saluting you. Absolutely. Job well done, man. We appreciate And seriously, you know, we appreciate your service. Appreciate the enthusiasm you brought to the job, like very few others, and your dedication to taking people like Paul LaRue, these mercenaries, you know, these people off the face of the earth and making making at least a little part of the earth a little safer for the rest of us. Well, thanks. This is phenomenal. We try. You know, the, 
the 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 American taxpayers definitely got their money's worth out of you, brother. So thanks for all your sacrifice and dedication. I don't feel like I ever worked a day in my life. I loved. If you love what you do, you never work another day in your life. Yeah, That's I, right. cool. I loved every minute of it. Outstanding, all right, brother. We are bringing this to an end. This is me saluting you again. Salute, and everybody, stay tuned for the debrief. Okay, Murph, you did it for the movies. Did you count the number of F-bombs that were dropped? I can't count that Or did you high. lose track after 472? <laughs> I can't count that high. <laughs> you know, I told somebody else. Tommy got the, not only did he get the record, I think we could probably add the three top F-bomb droppers prior to him, and he still beat them. <laughs> uh, it, it, and he was given, and Dominic Polifron is some serious competition, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, but what a story, man. And, and that's what makes me so proud. When I read this book, when I heard about the case, we heard it from uh, Rob Zach, who we had on here talking about Victor Boot. Uh, I just got so excited because I knew a lot of the people working in the case, and it, it's a great example about the, the fantastic work, the unbelievable work that DEA is doing that other agencies around the world just simply aren't able to accomplish. You know, and you got dedicated personnel. You got an agency that supports you and backs you 100%. These guys are willing to take that that extra leap, go the extra mile to make the case. Hats off to Tommy and his partner, uh, Edric. Uh, Edric, I just forgot Eric's last name. I, I apologize, Eric. Let me look it up. Eric I Stouch. Apologize for the starving. Eric Stouch, who Eric we're Stouch. actually going to have on here in a future <laughs> podcast to talk about another case. Because there was no way when you hear you guys heard Tommy, there's no way to put two of these guys on in the same podcast. We just wouldn't be able to keep it to under a day. So. Hey, we'll come back. We'll see you guys. I'm going to go have a beer, go take a bike ride, hit the winery. We'll come back. You just tell us when you're done. Uh, and you know what? And thanks to Elaine Shannon for writing the book out there. You know, give her a shout yep. out. You did a fantastic job on the book. So hope you guys enjoyed this as much as we did. I love this episode. Well, it was. And it just it goes to show you is that um, it, w- when you really absolutely want to go after people, you can. You just have to have the dedication, the perseverance, the willpower. And uh, I mean, Tommy's one of those guys, you know, uh, him and his partner, man. Those are two guys. If I were one fugitive, I'd hate to have them on my oh, case because, you know, you're not, they're going to come after you. They're going to figure out how to get you. Absolutely. And we're going to figure out how to get you. You know how we're going to get you? Oh. Actually, you know, it just reminded me, hats off to Tommy. That, that that was a 50 song somewhere in that. So there is a song, I think, something like that. I'm happy to you say know. I've never heard that song. I'm going to play it for you oh, next no, time. No, anyway, no, no. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed this. If you did, head on over to the Apple and the Spotify. By the way, we got some great reviews on Audible, too. I didn't realize uh, now with uh, Amazon owning Art19, which is a company that hosts our podcast, we're actually over there on Audible. So we were getting five stars over there. So thank you, everybody, yeah. for doing that. My, this is this is awesome. Nice surprise. Uh, just to, yeah, and hit those five stars, man. We just, we just, we, we're we're just pouring our heart out to you guys, trying to have fun, and hopefully you guys will recognize that. And if you do, just you know, throw us a few stars. You know, just think about it. Just I threw, I throw a couple like over your shoulder at five. us. Five, yep. you know, five. That's good. five. Yeah. Five, cinco, cinco. Anyway, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com for more info about the show. We're always updating it. Again, our book list, uh, that's where you'll find our previous episode, uh, Victor Avila's book, you know, Agent Under Fire that we talked about. Um, we'll have a link to the book, uh, Hunting LaRue, you know, on the webpage, but it won't it won't occupy a space of honor on our book page because those are reserved for our guests, but it's still going to be there. Also, follow us on the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Head on over to paypal.com. Use our email, gameofcrimespodcast at gmail.com or paypal.me 
paypal.me slash game of crimes, whatever makes it easier for you. But again, keep telling you guys, patreon.com slash game of crimes. We have got 70 pieces of content out there right wow. now. I mean, we've got almost as number of uh, pieces of content on Patreon as episodes we have out on the podcast right now. So yeah, you know, that's just proof that uh, we all know how much Morgan likes to talk, you know, so I'm just, I'm like the Ed McMahon here on the Johnny Carson <laughs> show. <laughs> Ed McMahon was still one rich son of a bitch too. Plus he did, uh, what was that uh, show he used to do? Um, uh, the, with the talent show or something yeah. anyway. Yeah. Long time ago. Long time ago. And Ed was drunk most of the time too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make him a bad person. No, it doesn't. He was just having fun. But hey, if you guys like that, just seriously, we, we got a lot of good stuff there. And uh, we just really want to say thank you guys again for once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes. 